0: I was in the shower.
1: Call me back. What's up, everybody? I'm Josh. And I'm Jared. And as always, we have uh, the man behind the curtain. The Wizard to Our Oz, the man behind the ones and twos, B.J. Robbins. What's up, B.J.? What's up, Beach? So today uh, we've got uh, we've got another interview, another uh, very special another, guest. Yeah, this is this is this is a lot of fun. This is somebody we actually know, we know pretty well, good friend of ours. We met yeah. in Chicago. Um, someone we both, uh, look up to. Somebody Definitely. who's done a lot of great things, uh, things we wish we could do for people. And this guy's Super done it. Super smart. Yeah. And so, I mean, 99% of the time, uh, Jared and I are just talking shit and we're yeah. just having fun and we just want to bring, uh, you guys some Giving sort of our strong or, opinions. Yeah. And just bring you some laughs or maybe, um, something to think about. But normally we're not going to teach you anything about yourself or about how to make your life better. But the, person we have on today can actually do that yeah, and definitely. so um, we want to make sure we take the time here to um, get information for you guys um, and any kind of help and um, that you may need or want to search for maybe we can find those answers today and um, so or at, at least p-
2: give you a little bit of a direction and uh, maybe give you that little nudge to get you over the line to, to help yourself because it, it's definitely important to me for for, for mental health uh, for those that i have I've kept close to my life know that uh that's very important to me personally yeah. so
1: yeah it's changed your life definitely, definitely. from when i went definitely. went through a rough stage so it's For good, sure. as as your as your good friend and brother i'm happy to see that yeah, um me too so uh this uh this guest is a therapist who specializes in PTSD and ADHD and um He's got his own podcast which we'll talk about too. Um but uh, I think one of the greatest treatments is that he is uh married to a Grammy award winner. Yeah. Our gr- our girl uh, Robin got to give her a shout out because yeah. I know she's listened a little bit. She's commented love on some Robin. things. It's Robin's sweetest, our girl, the sweetest. Her. And uh, I'd say these guys are uh, a are, are a power couple when it comes to our our circle of friends, but we'd like to introduce our good friend Dave Kessler. What's How are you doing, Dave? Dave?
3: well hi guys that was
1: incredible yeah well, we got to give you some good gotta man give you your flowers
3: yeah. man you're the bomb we love yeah. you so happy that i like, can do this no pressure i'm just gonna like find all the answers yeah. and <laughs> all the suffering you know like let's do this let's what is this. life question <laughs> yeah. mark here's I mean,
1: dave <laughs> you're so you're so naturally um good at educating and you know we, i've told you this the other day when we were talking but i've told you this many times you you have this this way of of taking something deep and technical and just breaking it down and i guess we could say decar, what's that decomp uh decompact
2: or what am i yeah that's a that's a tough one man a plus <laughs> communicator Dave. Yeah. yeah he's just very good at uh breaking something down into layman's terms for uh someone dumb like myself to kind of <laughs> yeah. digest in, in, in smaller tidbits i've
1: learned a lot and i mean over the i mean the 15 years or so we've known we've known each other i i Went with, went to, especially moving first, moving to Chicago and meeting you. I came to you with, um, with opinions that come from a very, um, small world raised. And there were so many, so many thoughts and opinions I have today that are, were changed because of having conversations with you For about sure. things. So, yeah, um, so first, let's get started. We knew
2: each other, uh, from the Nevins era. Yeah, um, Tommy Nevins. Barton. That's where yeah. we first met. That's where we met was at Tommy Nevins. So yeah, why don't you tell us about uh, your time at Tommy Nevin's and uh, your experience of us there?
3: Oh my God, it's like it's my pleasure to think about Nevin's. I mean, like this is where I have to be honest. My like the real reason I got a job at Nevin's was because I had moved to Evanston. I was working at this place like Lamb's Farm, which was like way out and way far away, mm-hmm. and I was commuting all day and I didn't know anyone. Mm-hmm. And I'm like but I'm, you know, if I want to get to meet people, I should probably work at a local bar yeah. and this place in Evans is walking distance for me. So like I'll go take any job they have. So like I walked in and I think like, um, uh, the only opening that they had was for a host position for yeah, me to like stand yeah. in the front and like hand people menus you and walk the into host. the table. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think everyone was expecting me to be like, Oh, that's beneath me. But I was like, yeah. And so I worked as a host for, you killed it. About like, yeah, about six months to yeah. a year. And then, transitioned to a, a bartender, yep. but I think, uh, hosting, it was great. Cause I went all day long. I was working like pretty intense behavioral psychology, helping people figure out how to live do all these things. And then all of a sudden I had to find people a table yeah. to sit down <laughs> and eat. And I didn't even have to take their order. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was the best.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, sure. and, but that's when I met you, like transitioning to bar, I think is when I met you guys. And I think, it, for for me, like the service industry is feels a lot like I don't know, like we're we're in a battle together, and you guys are in the trenches All trenches right, with me, you know, sure. and like behind that bar, there's like this physical boundary in front of you, and like mm-hmm. they they're not supposed to reach over and touch you, and like <laughs> yeah. you have this moving space, and I'll tell you, like on those St. Patrick's days, or those parties, or mm-hmm. those times where like like it was it was hit. Like it was really fun working with you guys. Really
2: fun. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Lots of good memories. We just did an episode about the service industry. Yeah. Was talking about that how you yeah, when you're in a service and in the weeds with somebody, you feel like you've gone to war at the end of the night and like that's what you've you want to decompress. You're having your post you know post clean up drinks and maybe play a pool your vice of choice whatever that might be you know and uh definitely yeah that's one of the g- good things about the service industry are the strong relationships
3: you build with your coworkers. yeah absolutely well, well that and it's like a dice roll like what kind of crazy stuff are you going to see yes. today? like stuff that you never thought about like potentially <laughs> yes. seeing before like like things yeah. that don't like make sense independently but like not when you put them together like people own birds. Yeah. That's a normal thing. Yeah. People don't bring birds into bars and sit with them as they're like therapy animals Devins, and have conversations. Though. Right. Yeah, and then you're like, like... We saw that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I forgot all about that. The therapy bird. Yeah. yeah. The guy that came in with the therapy bird. I forgot all about that. Dude. So
3: wild. Uh, or, or, or like times where like there would be arguments around musicians on which art Irish instrument they were going to play. And it's like, I would never see like an argument like this anywhere in the right, world yeah. except for right here. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And then, like, oh, this is maybe evil. Like, I loved everyone I worked with there. But at the end of the night, you know, you get those people that get, like, they've had too many drinks. They're not even thinking right now. Their brain's on autopilot. Like, (laughs) give me another drink, and whatever says no to me is going to get yelled at. Like, like, a lot of, like, intense, complicated thought happening. And And I really remember, like, one of my favorite parts of Nevins was, like, can I use, like, the Jedi powers to, like, Tell you like these are not the droids you're looking for, yeah. and like have somebody leave without like coming to fisticuffs. i right. like, Yeah, that yeah. made me feel like great every night. I could convince someone to leave. For to like, sure. that for sure. Yeah. for sure, for
0: sure,
2: for yeah. sure. Putting out fires, yeah. That's part of the job, man. You got to be. That's like probably great therapy practice, you know, de-escalation. Oh, I mean, that's what I get. I go back. Well, we were just talking about the service industry. I caught a lot of grief from my buds in the, in the my group chats about the mandatory two-year service industry <laughs> enrollment for all Americans. But I'm telling you, every retail worker in this country is better at de-escalation and conflict resolution than all of the police em- Officers in this country. Well, there's, there's like all of them.
3: There's better training for it than what they, than what because they have to do it get. to
2: keep their jobs. Cops don't care.
3: Yeah, there's. I think there's an interesting point around like how we build tolerances, right? Like through exposure. Like you have to experience stuff. Like you know, get thicker skin. Mm-hmm. And like anyone in the service industry has to deal with some of the most irrational stuff, like exactly. in oh, the yeah. world. Like you have to have a really thick skin, or you're not working in the service industry for long. I don't Absolutely. know if everyone needs to do that. Mm-hmm. But like, I do like, you're just like on the side, like I listening to the That's show. I, I love it. Like I said just I, last I night that, yeah, tacos are sandwiches and service people like probably should be mandated by the government to work, but maybe <laughs> not in service industry, like AmeriCorps or like, you know, other things, but yeah, everyone should be doing like two years. of. That's what service. I'm
2: saying. Yeah. I told uh, the guys in the group chat and they gave me grief about what I say, uh, like, uh, there's an entire army of Karens in this country that would vaporize like a vampire in sunlight <laughs> under the wilting power of one Mother's Day brunch. Yeah. <laughs> if they had to work it. Oh my it. God,
3: yes. They would yes. just
2: wilt and die I mean, and cry in the corner because uh, another Karen asked them for three sides of ranch and they only yeah. brought two. There, I mean,
3: yeah, there be- is a very real part of like. Of working in the service industry, where I think you have to experience like lots of little deaths. Yeah, you know, like yeah. Oh, yeah. I Death can't experience it cuts. another way. But like, yes, there's a sixteen top in front of you, and like you're you're on it. But then there's like some weird problem where someone like I don't know does something bad, and now you have to change your smock, or you got to get a new like apron, or you lost your vote. and so it takes like <laughs> five or ten minutes to do that. And Then you come back, and like they don't have silverware, and then all the foods like back it up, and then it all gets cold, and yeah. then you realize a you forgot to dish, and like. Everything goes wrong. But mm-hmm. the weirdest part that like, you don't have to experience anywhere else in society is like, you have to keep going back to that table yeah. and telling them about how you messed up. Yeah. And they keep yelling at you. Yeah. And it's like this gotta horrible to take your medicine. like an hour and a half. You're like, I'm not getting it. Yeah, if They're hating
2: yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. I still have to you show know you're you. You're losing money that entire time. It's just such a crazy yeah. dichotomy for well,
1: sure. And that's, what, that's what helped me is because I was a person who was quick to just be like, yeah, fuck it walk away from things like that that was forcing me to have to keep going back and facing the the dragon you know facing the issue and then learning how to deal with it and then after time i was able to get yelled at and this and that and then find a way to fix everything then by the end of it when the people are leaving they're apologizing we're we're kind of laughing about everything and it's like no you guys you, you know and 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 then you don't there's not a bad write up there's no bad energy they come back you know and, and there's that this is a skill that you have to learn yeah, and yeah. like you said the first thing you have to do is you have to get a thicker skin yeah you um, just
2: get you grow you grow a little debtor inside after each shift in the service industry,
3: yeah. you know, just a little bit. Basically, so helps. That, that helps yeah. out a the little lot. Party dies it and does. it doesn't get hurt again. Yeah, right. like yeah. it's like
2: a, an angel gets its wings every time you put a star on a Christmas tree. It's like every Sunday brunch, you know, a <laughs> server dies a little bit inside, yeah. and becomes a cynic you know? for every time you <laughs> no. get called a jag off or <laughs> yeah. something. You know, yeah. What are you stupid? <laughs> that was my old thing about Nevins. Yeah. Is like they always didn't realize that we're here working at Nevins. You were uh, taking you know graduate level courses in your behavioral therapy and doing a very intensive you know educational things we had like a chemist Doctors. who worked there uh you know master's program students Lawyers. at northwestern and one of the most prestigious academic places in the world and they're coming in you know calling us stupid because we you know forgot their onion rings like yeah. kiss my ass bro yeah it's just get
3: some perspective oh. in life <laughs> my favorite was when someone would say something utterly completely wrong but yeah. call you stupid like Why would you make a mimosa with champagne and orange juice? What are you, stupid? Where's the rum? And you're like, Uh, you're right. uh, Yep. you got it. Yeah, let me me throw some
1: rum in that for you then.
3: Joy. One of my, oh, I got to say this. Can I I say like one of my, like the moments where I felt my mouth open and I couldn't, I'm a really optimistic, you know, person. I say like, I believe in hope all the time. Like Mm -hmm. if the table's getting bad, I'm like, I can fix it. Like Mm -hmm. that's me. Right. And so, the, the time where, like, something happened and zapped my brain. I like wine. I'm a wine person. Mm-hmm. nice. Red wine for the win. Um, this person came up to the, to the bar and was like, I'd like to try some of your wines. And I think this is a baller move because if you want to try p- places wines, like, they should give you a little sip so you can taste the wine before sure. you pick which one you want. So this person, like, was tasting all these different white wines, which is a very delicate flavor. Like, yeah. you're tasting nuance in that thing. Like And mm-hmm. they're tasting these like, three or four different kinds of white wine. And then they go, ah, uh, that's the one I want. That one I go, okay, great choice because I'm here to validate your decision. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Um, they, they pick that one, and then they and then they take a piece of gum out of their mouth and say, "Do you have somewhere to put this?" <laughs> and I. And I remember thinking you just went through the process of tasting all right. of these wine with, with s- mint gum yeah, in your experiment. mouth before you picked the wine you wanted. You yeah. d- double mint idiot. <laughs> I'll take your gum. Thank you. For, yeah. like, it was just like, my. remember my mouth just dropping. Enjoy it. your $6 just- glass of
2: Riesling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, One of the great stories I, I love from Nevins is when mm-hmm. we, uh, with me and you is uh, we worked like every Sunday morning Sunday session together for years yeah. as well so I would and be I in there in and handling the football over. crowd and then Josh picked it up after you were gone but yeah we worked the uh, Irish music session which was traditional Irish music mm-hmm. shout out John Williams yeah. and then I would be in like the bar TV area running all the football crowd and whatever um, but the great story for me and you that I love is when you and I went out to the grand opening of Nevin's Naperville together <laughs> and we had the free drink it was an open bar for friends and family and we were out there opening the new restaurant it was big it was great it was grand I had like five old fashions and was absolutely canned just wasted whiskey wasted yeah um and I I I don't remember if Dave was driving I believe Dave drove out there and was going to drive us home and we were getting wild and rowdy in the parking lot and like uh Dave's a a built person he's he's short shorter than me which is pretty typical you know um but very he's much stronger than me. Oh, oh yeah. and was a wrestler growing up. Yeah. And I didn't really know that and I nope. was kind of playing out around in the parking lot and I'm like I'm going to shoot the takedown on you, Dave. I'm going to do it right here right now. It was just being very matter of fact whiskey wasted and I did. I shot for the takedown. And let me tell you, folks, he's got an excellent sprawl because he just absolutely sprawled my face directly into the pavement. And I just, like, woke up the next day and had this huge, like, raw road rash down the side <laughs> of my face from the parking face. lot. They just oh, rode God. his face
3: down to the ground. And he was
2: just like, he was apologetic, but was also laughing his ass off because okay. he knew it was coming.
1: Well, and that's something he'd done
2: hours of, <laughs> training. And, and so it's not a just, wrestler. No, and it's just a, somebody shoots him and taller do. than him i'm wasted
3: oh i gotta wait i gotta can I clear this up just a little bit just of course a backstory. yes a little, okay I'm, I'm crying right now <laughs> i have done a ton of like wrestling and mm-hmm. like in in school and like had offers of intent from colleges so i sure. was recruited as a wrestler You're and a wrestler. then i did mma in undergrad <laughs> like, okay. okay okay lots of this like list. poor
0: decisions <laughs>
3: I, I was drinking the night that we were at the open. I didn't drive that day because I was kind of like, I'm going to let it loose. Yeah. And you look at me and you go, I'm going to take you down. And I, I said this. I go, don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. no, I'm doing it. And I go, please don't. I'm really, and I'm holding a drink. And I'm like, please don't don't do this, I'm good at this, and you go, you're mine, and you just, you you shot the double leg, and it was like, this moment, I don't even remember my response, like, you, you know, anyone that does a repetitive motion thing yeah, all the time, like, absolutely. you catch the ball, you don't really think, I'm gonna move my arm to catch right, the ball, like, right. The next thing I knew, I had bounced back, still had a drink in my hand, and you're on the ground with your head bleeding. And I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. "This is not what was supposed to happen." The worst
2: decision I made. The, that's why I quit drinking, folks. Man, I was—I uh, just no filter. Every poor decision sounded great. Like, I'm gonna shoot the dick down on this person who I obviously should. I'm gonna headbutt this elbow right yeah. here. Just dumb. I'm mean, Okay, so good wait, drink. wait, so that it's was fun. my
3: memory of you, Sherry. Like, <laughs> yeah. when we were at Nevins and it was a day, it was like this day where you had been like off. You we were all imbibing, mm-hmm. and then you were like, I can I forget it. I don't know if it was me or somebody else, but you're like I'm going to split your elbow open with my head. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, that's, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> and then like a few minutes later, you had a little cut on your head and like, it was in fact a terrible idea. Fast forward <laughs> to the Nevin's thing where I'm like, he's going to shoot. Like yeah. I knew you weren't going to yeah, do it. Yeah. I was really trying to get yeah. you. Not like I had seen the elbow. Like you have no fear. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah that was amazing. Story.
1: I love that you told him, "Don't, like, yeah. please don't. No, like, please don't, please <laughs> don't." <laughs> like, this and of is not
3: a good idea. Just
2: like grinning, like yeah. a Cheshire cat, have no idea what's coming. But I learned. Yeah, I learned.
1: I mean, you may have not had a good time when you were drinking all the time, but everyone around you always had a good <laughs> yeah, time with yeah. you and your drink. You're a good, good, good time drinking. Everybody seemed to have good times around me,
3: but yeah, I usually. You are a really, but I'll be serious, like Jared. You're a really good person. You're a really nice person that Thanks. comes out like you are. You are a person that I would feel very comfortable with when they're drinking, when they're sober, yeah. doing anything. And I think like it goes for you too, Josh. But I think like. Whether you're drinking, whether you're smoking, I think, like, it's very easy to demonize or put, like, a really big judgment on, like, sure. all of drinking is wrong or all. Yeah. But I think it's about yeah. who you are. Right. And, like, both of you guys are really good people. So, like, yeah, did you drink a little too much at a time? For sure. Did <laughs> mm-hmm. you stop? For sure. Mm-hmm. But you've been a good guy, like, the whole time. Yeah. I
2: appreciate sense. that.
1: That was one thing with – uh, we uh... – we would get in trouble, but we never we never sought out to hurt people. Yeah. We didn't really ever get violent. Mm-hmm. If we did get violent, it was with each other because <laughs> we'd known each other for so long, yeah. and that's just what we would do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we had we, we, we had, had some, some good times, times man. That's we, what
2: you do in your twenties, and, and you yeah. know, like I mean, we were all like in our twenties, and we were crazy, and we we're working in a bar, and you just that's that's what you did. We cut yeah. loose. We had a good time. Lots lots of great memories. But I had to share that one. That's it's a good one. that one stuck out in my mind when I think of you all the time. Yeah, that's a good one. That was just such a poor decision by me. <laughs> but I just so love that he was like, "Don't, please like, don't." Like he's <laughs> giving you your warnings. Just don't. Love that. That's great. So, uh, Dave, let's
1: ah! go back to your beginnings and then uh, oh, yeah. get us into where you're at now and how you got to this point. So, uh, just tell us a little bit, of uh, however comfortable you feel, and how much ever you want to get information you want to give us. But where did you grow up and um, and? How
3: was your growing up? It was a warm summer evening <laughs> in the 1970s when Movie my titles. mother. Met, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, I think the best the best way to like start an origin story is. I am I am really lucky to have like grown up with the family that I grew up in, specifically the brother that I have had. Gah, gotta change it right, yeah. um, I- and. I think that for me it was all like always about like my brother wanted to save the world, change the world, make a difference. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, you know, I'm five years younger. So I'm like, I'm gonna make a difference too. Like I'm just kind of like going in the footsteps. I don't really understand what sure. they are. Yeah. Um, uh, my dad was a teacher. Uh, my mom and dad met, uh, like doing Chicago politics. Like, so they're like very like socially minded people in different ways. Wow. Um, and I went, you know, I'm also a person that has like several learning disabilities, mm-hmm. um, raising my hand. Right. <laughs> I have ADHD and this thing that's basically like dyslexia. That's symbol recognition. It's a little more sophisticated, but like I can't spell very well. Mm-hmm. Like, OK. okay. Um, so school wasn't always the easiest thing for me. Um, and so I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to go to, like, these fancy schools. I wanted to go to Cornell because that was a school that my brother wanted to go to and didn't get in. And, like, I'm going to do all these things differently. But, like, I am failing out of high school. Mm -hmm. I got kicked out of high school, um, like, two years in. And I went to this, like, really fancy, prestigious uh, high school. Very nice you don't really get kicked out of high school without high school. You go to college. It has like one of those 99%. Like everyone goes to college from that school. Right. Like, if you think about like those old movies the John Hughes movies, like risky business or like all that's, that's the high school that I went to. Right. So I got kicked out uh, my junior year and it was the first time that I, and I went to like the school for kids with behavior problems Mm -hmm. and they were like, They're like, you know, you're a bad kid now. And like, realistically, like I was a kid that like really wanted to be a hero Mm -hmm. and I wanted to ditch classes. Mm -hmm. So I fought bullies and I ditched classes. (laughs) That was my game. Um, It doesn't bode well for your grades. Just spoiler alert. (laughs) That that, that hurts your grades. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got kicked out, went to a school for kids with behavior problem. But it was actually the first time I ever got any kind of accommodations for my learning differences, which is crazy to think about. Right. You didn't know it then yeah got it so my the second semester of my junior year through the end of my senior year i got straight a's awesome before that i had a 1.8 gpa oh wow I know how that is. That's what I, yeah. yeah like that's, that's what I was My rocking. parents
2: pulled me out of my my freshman year of high school as well. When I was going to Seymour, we had moved out of the country to, to Freetown. They had to pay out of, uh, tuition for me to keep continue going to Seymour with all my friends. And then that freshman year of high school, I just, I cut classes. I got a point eight GPA my freshman year. Just didn't do any work, cut up. And they were like, yoink, pulled me right out of high school and put me in, in Brownstown. Yeah.
3: It's, it's amazing. And whenever people tell me, like, I got a 0. 0.8 or what, like, it's impossible to, I don't think it's often, it, it's not easy to take and do all the work and get those grades. I know. Yeah. Like, you <laughs> only get those grades if you just, like, I'm not doing it. Yeah, yeah I don't know exactly. why, but I'm a teenager and yeah. I'm not doing it. it like, was, you know, like it's just, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so dumb. Um, So I ended up doing good enough in this, like, alternative school to get into college. Great. And, like, being in Chicago, the area that I grew up in, everyone goes to college. Like there's the weirdest pressure there. Like, yeah. if you didn't go to college, they would look at you like a pariah. Like where in other towns, if you went to college, they'd be like, Why are you leaving us? You know, like right. it's It was a very different kind of place. So I felt I had to go to college. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be a teacher. And I wanted to teach special education. That's what I wanted to do, right? Because teachers save the world. They they touched 30, 40 students, like, you know, a year and those mm-hmm. kids grow up and they make differences and the message like I want to be a teacher. Yeah. I think I said I have ADHD, right? So here's <laughs> the impulsive part. I never actually thought about what teachers like <laughs> like what they have to do. I thought about what they do. Right. So like I got through getting like working into be a teacher, right? All the way up until this place where you have to take this like basic skills test. And then, like, you start teaching the next, like, the student teaching the next year, like, all those classes. Mm-hmm. And I'm in this class that's prepping you to take this test, and I, like, raise my hand, and the teacher's like, well, yes, David. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm just waiting. Like, when are we going to learn, like, how to build our own curriculum? Like, I want to bring my own books into this stuff. I don't want to just teach what they're teaching me. Like, how do I do that? The room laughed. Yeah. And they were like, you don't get to teach what you want to teach. And I'm like, why? I have a sociology degree. Like, I've been studying systems and people because I and they're like, and laughter. And I was like, and like, you have to teach what the district tells you to teach. And I cannot tell you, like, the when that was said, it's almost like crushed you. The world slowed down. It was like, you have to teach like all of a sudden (laughs) the world slowed down and like crashed in on me. And I'm like, Yeah, I am done with this bullshit. Like it was like immediately I couldn't make myself teach things that I knew were not accurate. Right. Like, like not even like, like thought maybe like new historical stuff that we know is not true. Like I could not teach that. Right. Right. So I had this crisis of conscience and I spent like a couple weeks going, what the hell am I going to do with my life? I was gonna be, it went from, I'm gonna be a teacher to a special ed teacher to a medieval history teacher to like, I wanna help do creative writing teacher. Like you can see like, I'm influenced by all these movies and shows, I wanna save the world. Like, but Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be a teacher, that's my vehicle. Mm -hmm. This whole time I'm TAing at uh, psychology classes because they're easy. And I'm forming a relationship with this teacher. Her name is Dr. Tara Cornelius. Mm -hmm. I don't remember her, but she's amazing. So I'm glad I do. So she looks at me, she's like, you ever thought about doing psychology? And I look at this, like, very smart person. I go, oh, my God, no. Like, what, am I going to be a therapist? And I made a face like that. And she was like, yeah, you're good at it. And, like, what kind of offended is, like, like, yes, you know, if someone should. And I said, I wouldn't want to do that. This stuff is too easy. Like, no respect in this game. And then she kind of said, like, it's not easy for everyone. And I thought, like, that's dumb. And then I went home and talked with all my friends and, like, what do you believe this, you know, Dr. Cornelius person? And, like, then I realized, like, maybe I should just try to do the thing I'm good at. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I don't want to be a therapist, what else can I do with psychology? Um, The moment I started in psychology, I got straight A's for the rest of my life. It was like exactly what I was supposed to do. I have a very strong training in something called behavioral psychology, Mm -hmm. um, which is science. I'm just going to like this, like the behavioral psychology. It's not like the foo-foo, like we think it's your mother. Like none none (laughs) of that stuff is behavioral (laughs) psychology, right? Like it's like, how do we make you not burn your hand when you touch the stove? Yeah. Yeah. Like how do you quit smoking? Like it is, it is very specific on like what to do. Mm -hmm. And then from there I was like, Oh, this is too easy. Um, Too easy. Wow. Yeah, like it's 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 this thing that turns into like stereo instruction science. And I'll I'll say something really dumb and complicated now, but like like stimulus response reinforcement. And then it's like the fixed interval ratio of the reinforcement, how often they get it, the intensity of it. And once we get that done, like behavior is fine. Oh, yeah, of course.
2: Everyone knows that. It's a
3: very boring (laughs) way to work like, like, oh, you are thirsty. I'll give you water once an hour, every hour, and then you won't be thirsty anymore.
2: Right. So once you find the solution orients, it's 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 simple in that respect well, from a macro
3: view like a hundred percent jared but it's not only simple but like in behavioral psychology if someone doesn't get better they blame the person you're not doing it right right mm-hmm. right that's that's yeah. not right for me.
2: Yeah, that was the trouble with me when I had to go through, like, cognitive behavioral therapy. Like, it took me a long time to figure out what to do. I was doing these groups, and I was mm-hmm. doing these mindfulness exercises. I'm like, am I doing this right? Because you have no frame of reference. You can't You can't tell someone, you know, how your brain is thinking or working. You, you know, you can you can try to describe it, mm-hmm. but you can't, like, you know, open the side of your head and be like, hey, take a peek in here. Just, uh, tell me what's going on. You know, like, how's this working? That was the hard part for me personally. Mm-hmm. Is like, am I doing Uh, this right? I feel this feels weird. This feels wrong. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Everything you're saying is like so much about like, I just want to be like, hashtag facts because we are are not born with instruction manuals. Mm -hmm. We're actually born with like lessons that don't work, but we're told they should work regardless. Mm -hmm. But just ignore it. Don't feel it. Keep going. Like And like everyone models like, ah, I'm not anxious or it takes courage, but Mm -hmm. no one sits down and goes like, oh yeah, courage only happens when you're terrified. Right. All right. I wouldn't someone say that to you growing up. Yeah. You have to have courage. It makes it sound like you shouldn't be scared. And when you're not scared, then you're experiencing courage. Right. Like, right. What, Like, so I'll like long story short, the rest of this, cause I don't want to make this about like my origin story, but like yeah. from understanding psychology, I got really into like my, my parents and brother challenged me to go to a really prestigious university. I decided to like apply. I actually get in. It was kind of weird. Um, I start working with a national non for profit called Project Guide Eye that like works with like middle school students a- at the time and college students. They match them up with the same learning disability. They start doing work together. Started a chapter in Illinois. We started doing speaking for them around the country. Mm-hmm. Started doing lobbying for Congress around IDEA and like issues around like how to protect people and fight ableism. Awesome hashtag or slash like while all that's happening, I'm getting deeply invested in the neurobiology of trauma, PTSD. Um, I have a degree in sociology, so I got really focused on, like, how to take this learning and apply it to the world. So my brother and I teamed up and did research in southern Thailand looking at trauma acquisition and how people got traumatized through a war between, like, Buddhist extremists and Muslims. Started working at a place called the Center for Textual Change after school. Started writing or helping to, like, make trainings for, like, Israel, Palestine, a plane crash in Sweden, like, really doing pretty, like, amazing and really fun like trauma, complicated work. And then like, now I'm, you know, a clinical director. I have my own uh, co-founded an agency, love everyone that I work with. Mm -hmm. And I'm in a place now where I get to do like trainings around like ADHD, helping people understand neurodiversity, helping people understand trauma, helping people understand group dynamics, like how people need to get along. Like this is what I do now. And I love it. And I think like one of the things you guys know about me is I really want to take the scary terrifying parts of therapy away because I I don't like I don't think like sick people should go to therapy I just want to say something really hyperbolic I think everyone should go to therapy
2: that's what I say and God. then I want
3: to say I'm in therapy me I too. go to therapist me every too. week yeah I am not like destroyed by it but I'm gonna challenge anyone to tell me where you can get really unadulterated non-biased non-judgmental insight every week
2: right. It's, yeah, you said it, man. I mean, I'm right there with you. Absolutely. <laughs> Hashtag, yeah, go therapy. Yeah. And I mean, that was why I personally was so excited to bring you on in this episode. And thank you for sharing all that information. Yeah, I mean, you. that's an incredibly robust resume, as everyone yeah. can see. Um, and that's why it's it's so great. And for me personally, I mean, I, when I was going through my, my the beginning of my depression, I thought that there was something physically wrong with me. I was having endoscopies and colonoscopies. I was going to the hospital and having blood work. I thought I thought I had a disease or something. Yeah. And honestly, having conversations with you and with Road and my friends, it was finally to the point where I think everybody realized, except for me, that maybe this was a, a, a mental issue. And, you know, uh, getting that help there and and, and going through some of the, that was the hardest period in my life. I mean, I was dying for a while. Like I lost 60, 60, I lost 60 pounds, man. I was down to 160 pounds and I hadn't been that skinny since like junior year of high school, man. I was, I was dying. Yeah. So, I mean, therapy saved my life. And like, again, yeah, I, I, still, I still go to therapy once a week. Anybody who asks me about it, I'm like, go, you know, like, So I was super excited uh, to have Dave on and uh, try to get rid of any of that stigma, because I know just from where we grew up here in the Midwest, and I'm sure uh, being relatively the same age, we touched on this. Dave and I played Dungeons & Dragons together in a couple campaigns as well. We had a quick conversation last night uh, about the machismo and, and stigma of of males specifically uh, of our age we we still kind of got that from our parents where we don't like going to the doctor we don't like telling people we're sick or we're hurting or we're we're sad or we're lonely you know and just like we need to we need to kick that stigma in the ass and get rid of it man because uh don't suffer in silence um and yeah just get the help you need i mean uh, call me you know i I, i'm not a professional but uh i'm happy to to take that burden on for for anybody who needs it and just
1: find somebody Somebody to, I mean, sometimes you just need mm-hmm. to talk. You just need to say yeah. what you're feeling. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and sometimes it's just good to have somebody like you were saying that's not super biased. It's not going to protect you. You know, like mm-hmm. they're not going to say what it is that you want to want to hear at the time. It's what right. you need to hear at the time.
2: Right. And that's what I really got out of it is someone being able to hold a mirror up to me and, and call me on and break down my walls that I've put up, you know, like, you know, call call me on my conflicts and my, Mm -hmm. my hip, my hypocritical nature, you know, well, like, you know, you, yeah, you think everything's bad every day, but you know, you just bought a house, you just got a, you've, you've just got a new job, you know, you're taking care of two new dogs, you know, like you've, you've done all of these things, you know, why don't you see that? And I'm just like, Hey, yeah, you know, you're right. You know? those are real things. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. 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 I did do those things, you know, and that makes me feel better, you know? So yeah. it's just like getting that perspective for me is critical, is absolutely critical. Yeah. Just having
1: your, your focus put somewhere else. All right. So, um, now that we got of got your, uh, your origin story, that was now, great. now that we have an understanding of who Batman so is. So robust and awesome. So we know, so we know that like PTSD comes from, um, trauma that you deal with while being alive, things like that. So with ADHD, um, a big question I've have, and I think a lot of people, is this something that you're born with, or is this something that is brought into your world through other
3: traumas and things of that nature? What a great question. (laughs) Like, like, I'm just going to be like, that's a great question. So just like you're saying, trauma is a reflex. It's a neurobiological reflex. We cannot pick what traumatizes us. We cannot pick What upsets us, it can intellectually not bother you and traumatize you. It's very strange to think about, right? Um, it's around whether or not what you're seeing breaks this the technical term here is cognitive schema. Mm -hmm. But what that really means is like if it breaks a written rule that you have, like Mm -hmm. the sun rises and the sun sets, is like this written rule, right? Mm -hmm. So if the sun were to rise one day and then all of a sudden it never sets, like I would lose my mind. What's happening? Like permanent day, like it would be traumatizing. Not because I'm scared of the sun or I have any kind of aversion to sunshine or, or Mm -hmm. that I'm like, but it's that it's supposed to be night and it broke a rule and that could be traumatized. Right. Right. So ADHD is part of what I want to say is cognitive diversity. Mm -hmm. It would not make sense for a population on this planet to have the same brain. Right. Right. And and ADHD, this is, this is a very, I'm so glad to be able to talk about it. It is not actually a, a part of mental illness at all. Okay. So ADHD is characterized as a medical difference because fundamental parts of the brain are built differently. There's actual different built like cortical structures. Uh Basically, cortical structures means like highways that connect different parts of your brain. Like they're physically different. They're bigger. They have like cooler lighting than a neurotypical or a quote unquote normal person. Right. So everyone is born with or without ADHD. And this is where it gets really interesting. Okay based on the environmental variables that you experience, it can activate it or not activate it. Wow. Okay. Okay. So like some people with ADHD don't know they have it until they graduate high school Mm
0: -hmm.
3: or graduate college. Now they don't have the structure of the classes and what to do. And now they're supposed to do whatever they want to do. And the natural accommodation of the structure in their life disappears. Or they don't realize they have ADHD until they have kids. And then the natural structure that they built, I go to work, I play this volleyball game, I work out here, all that disappears. And now you experience a lot more inattention or a lot more issues because there's serious environmental changes. Wow. Huh. Um, So you're born with it, but just because you're born with it doesn't mean you're deficient. It means you're different. And it's like one of those weird things um, one of the reasons I love working with ADHD is like, I, I'm like, oh yeah, like I'll tell person X, you have ADHD. And then like, they go, oh God. And you can tell that they feel horrible about like yeah. label. They don't want to be labeled. It's st- right.
1: And it's a it's a stigma
2: that like, yeah, gets a stigma a the frowned label, on thing. for yeah. sure.
3: But because it's a medical thing and not a psychological thing, the closest parallel to ADHD would be like nearsightedness or farsightedness. Really? Oh, wow. That's a cool yeah. distinction. Because if you didn't have your glasses on and you were sitting in class, what would happen to your attention on the board?
0: Right. Right.
3: Yeah. It would go away.
0: Yeah.
3: Like we know kids that have problems paying attention. We actually give them hearing and sight tests because if you can't hear well or you can't see well, it impacts sustained focus as a kid.
2: I swear that's why my brother is the way he – is. And he didn't, he was, he dropped out of high school as as a sophomore, but I I think the reason why he started, he was die. He he had a lazy eye that went undiagnosed until a very young age. And then he got, we were very poor when we were growing up and couldn't afford the best glasses. So he couldn't see the chalkboard and stuff. And I think that's why he just never really took school seriously since then.
3: It, It would absolutely impact your ability to focus on something. Right. And so like not to get too far into the weeds for ADHD, mm-hmm. but ADHD is this neurological difference. And like, can I like describe like what that looks like of for course. a second? Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's your stage. Imagine, yeah, yeah. Imagine the brain, like, like I'm pointing, I'm holding my forehead, like I'm touching my forehead, like mm-hmm. your whole brain, we know what parts of your brain is working based on where the blood is flowing in your brain, right? So if the blood like flows into your forehead, we know you're paying attention to the world around you. You're, you're reading stuff. This is called your prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm, that's, that's paying attention Mm -hmm. when blood leaves your forehead and goes into your back and your like the middle of your brain, you are not able to focus. Your body is focusing on life support systems, right? This is a neurobiological reflex. If any of you know how to make your blood move in your brain, please teach me so I can teach people, but like (laughs) it happens. It's a reflex, right? So when they took a bunch of people and they put them in these fMRI machines, functional magnetic resonance imaging it doesn't blah, blah 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 what it means is we can see blood move real time in the brain right like we can see where it goes mm-hmm. so they take one group of people and they go all right see that red dot on the wall and the group of people go yes we see that red dot these are all normal neurotypical people mm-hmm. and they go focus on that red dot for like two minutes and they're like bet and they like you know thumbs yeah. up they start focusing on the dot and like while they're focusing on the dot, the blood, they're they're, in it, they're getting their, you know, fMRI, they're watching the blood pour into the front of the brain. Right. And it's pouring into the brain. They're going like, I'm looking at a dot. It's circular. They've asked me to stare at this dot. I'm not going to move my eyes. The dot isn't moving. Like they're constantly the attending dot. again and again mm-hmm. to that dot. Mm-hmm. That's a normal person. Right. So they took an ADHD person, brought them in the same room. They're being monitored. And they go, look at that dot. And the ADHD person goes, i I look at that dot, and they look at the dot. And the second they look at the dot, the blood pours away from the front of the brain; it huh. goes into the sides and the back. And they look at the dot and go, "All right, I'm looking at that dot. Did I turn off my oven? I didn't turn off my oven. Better not move my head. What am I supposed to... I'm looking at the dot? I'll look at the dot. I'm looking at the dot right now. Everyone does it. Oh my god, am I breathing? Can they see my sweat? My heart's beating, isn't it? It's not beat. <gasps> Did you see that game last night? Oh my god, I was. Does this person like? They like. Has it been two minutes? It hasn't been. Right. That whole time your brain is not reattending to that red dot, right? right. The focus is because there is nothing dangerous or important about that red dot. Mm-hmm. An ADHD person could not focus on that red dot, could not. But can I flip this for a second now? we am to go to yeah. like the foo-foo land where yeah, it's this like, is good. all right. So imagine they go, say, the same situation is all real, two groups of people, red dot on the wall. But at the end of the thing, they go, look at that red dot. If you're not looking at the red dot, you're going to get shot with a cannon. Mm, okay. A little more consequences. So the blood we'll, changes we'll in the red brain. Right right <laughs> yeah, like little risk. So the normal person would be like, I don't know if I want to play this game. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. And then, and, then, and then they might be like, I'm looking at this fucking dot, but like, where's the cannon? And then it's like, ah, you look away. Like, because yeah. their brain is going to be looking at, where, like, where's the danger? What's right. going on? It's a normal reaction. hmm because anxiety impacts executive function. You're seeing where I'm going. So mm-hmm. the normal person would turn into an ADHD person under tremendous threat. Right. He would be like, I don't know what to do. He'd <laughs> be like very scared. Yes. Now we flip it, we put the ADHD person in the room, and they're like, All right. So if you don't pay attention to that dot, you're gonna get shot with a cannon. And they're like, cool. And now it's like look at that dot. Now, now the blood is gonna stay in the front of the brain. There's risk. And I, the neuro, an ADHD person's reinforced by attending or walking towards risk. Mm-hmm. They can focus more. And so, like, what would make sense if you were, like, trying to develop a species that was, like, going to, like, be around for a long time? Would you want to make it so that if there was a forest fire, no one knew what to do? Or would you want to make, like, a third of the population be like, oh, I'm going to run towards that fire? Like, you yeah. would make neurodiversity yeah. be part of, like, the human experience so, like, we don't get destroyed by one thing. And so, right. like... Going all the way back, sorry, Josh, is like, is ADHD like something that you acquire? No, but you can get symptoms later in life because you lost, like, accommodations. Mm,
0: that's
2: okay. interesting. So it can just be kind of unlocked, turned off, turned on based on your environmental and life factors. That's a very interesting yeah. take. Well, I mean, it just, it goes
1: to show the brain and everything around us it's and crazy. how everything, the information that is, whatever information is put into our brain, it affects differently. Yeah. That's, can I, can I like make
3: this even crazier for a second? Yeah, Yeah. please. I love this. Okay. So there's this really fancy term called epigenetics, right? And what epigenetics means is it's actually like more like we know that there's a couple of different theories of evolution. There's like Lamarckian or there's Darwinian evolution. Uh, Mm -hmm. We don't have to go into the weeds with this, but Mm -hmm. basically there is a branch of evolution that looks at how one, like one generation to the next can actually physically change. Yeah. And that actually changes through something called epigenetics. And so they did this study. They took this female rat, super great rat, great, robust, like she's a powerful rat. They put her in this cage and they released this neutral smell, which means like the rat has never smelled this before. It is not even bad or good. It's just a new smell. Mm-hmm. The moment they release the smell in this female rat, they bash its tail with a hammer. And the rat's like what the heck? (laughs) And then they release the smell again and they bash the tail. They release the smell again and they bash the tail and they do this over and over, over like weeks. And then at the very end, they release the smell and they cut off the rat's tail with a knife. Oh
1: my gosh.
3: Rats like this is, we are, we are really trying to train trauma into a rat. This is exactly what we're doing. And we're, they're trying to make it associated with that smell. Right? Right. So then they take that rat out of the cage. They put it back into their rat playground by the way, it's actually called a rat playground. It's like this giant rat enclosure with like lots of rats that have fun, and they run on wheels, and they drink water, and they have sure, enrichment stuff. Sure. They put her back in this playground. Within a couple days, she meets this really handsome, like uh, uh, emotionally available male rat. Okay. Um, they end up having a bunch of rat babies. <inaudible> and this is when the research starts again. Okay. The moment <laughs> these babies can open their eyes or can move, mm-hmm. they are scooped out a rat in the playground, and they are put back into that special box. Smell time. And the smell that they've never smelled before, only their mom smelled before they were born, right, Mm -hmm. is released. What do you think these little baby rats do? They're developing trauma.
1: They have a reaction to fear.
2: They have
3: like a fear and trauma. They freak out. Yeah, they start running around. The smell is like, oh, my God. But do they know they're freaked out because of the smell? No. 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 They just know something. An environmental change happened that activated a response. Right. Wow. That's like ADHD to be activated, and so like when we look at ADHD, when we look at trauma, when we look at the history of like trauma with people, or the history of like ADHD, it looks way more complex and powerful. I'm like the real roles that the environment plays, and then I'm going to get like really like hyperbolic about this, Mm -hmm. which means I'm really learning to reframe a mental illness. As you are allergic to oppression in a crappy environment
2: right <laughs> yeah. yeah for sure yeah yeah and like that's why i i read something uh maybe just a few weeks ago that was kind of on this too and it gave me some pretty good perspective about like uh parents my age that the baby boomer generation they get they catch a lot of grief lately and, and for good reason and on my opinion for a lot of for a lot of things um the okay boomer blah 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 but I had a really crazy uh, article. I think I read, or maybe it was like a Reddit thread or something, talking about how th- the Greatest Generation, the World War II generation, raised our parents, the Boomers, and you got to think about their environments and responses. They lived through the Depression. They lived through World War One, World War Two, um, and. Those are horrifying, traumatic experiences that they then raise their children in to think, you know, the sky is going to fall. The banks are going to fail. There's going to be war and famine and disease and terror. World War Three is coming and, and everything. And they and they instilled that into our parents who grew up in, you know, the greatest prosperous you know period of, of our history always expecting that other shoe to drop. And I think that, you know, that obviously informed our, our lives as well. And I always just thought that that was really interesting and, and gave me a, a better perspective to kind of, you know, cut boomers a little bit of a break to think about, because when I think about my grandparents and what they lived through and then like in turn raising my parents, that really kind of informed my, my view of them a little differently. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So
0: I'm like nodding hard. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So now let's move into. Now that we got this, this is perfect. that was incredibly yeah, this interesting. Is, this is perfect. So now that we, we have that, I mm. want to talk about dopamine and the differences that dopamine has on each brain. So the PTSD, the, the ADHD, and then what we're calling, I guess, normal right now. Um, mm. Because we all want dopamine. Dopamine drives us. Dopamine, it's a happy drug. Yeah. Well, dopamine just it drives our, what you could say, our soul. Our spirit. And so each one of these differences, though, um, mental differences, uh, dopamine is chased differently and it's also um, it affects it differently. So kind of go into detail here on what the difference is on uh, when it comes to dopamine.
3: Oh, my God. I love talking about this stuff so much. Okay, so <laughs> That's why you're here, man. We know you do. I'm such a nerd. I love this stuff. OK. So the best way to, everyone's brain responds to dopamine in about the same way. Let's think about that. Like it's a it's a reflexive thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there are certain things that activate dopamine for everybody, right? Like a really great example is any blue light, any any blue mm-hmm. photon triggers dopamine. So whenever you're looking at a phone screen, a computer screen, a TV screen, you're getting dopamine. Right. What's different though is everyone has like think about like your brain has a bunch of cups mm-hmm. and like there's a little line at the top of the cup. And like once the cup is filled to that line, you feel satiation. Mm-hmm. So the cup is holding dopamine. And then once you get enough dopamine, you're like, I am satisfied. Uh, I have good. had enough. Insert here, like cheese fries, television, video game. Like <laughs> whatever. whatever it is, like, yeah. I have had enough. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> some people, the size of that cup is different. sure. So they might need more to feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. The issue with uh, and, and actually like people that struggle with addiction have, they, they need a lot more yeah, dopamine right. To, right. to be satisfied. Right. Yeah, addictive personality. But then we flip it for ADHD folks for a second. Okay. This is where it gets crazy. Um, you give them like, like a larger size vehicle and it has a very high level for like satisfaction, but no matter how much dopamine goes into the cup, none of it stays got a hole in the bottom of the cup. Just yeah, goes out right away. Right. Never fills up the whole time. It's going into the cup. It feels good, but because it never gets to that line, never you kept, never kept. feel like you've had enough Ew. of cheese fries, video games, what, like that whatever that thing dangerous. is. Which eventually becomes is, addiction. Yeah. That's where addiction Well, comes wait. In. No, no. Spin it spin it adaptively. I like what you said. It becomes hyper-focus that can go into very destructive or good directions. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because the on how longer you're, you're focusing on it, the more dopamine you're getting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. But dopamine is the lying thing in the world. Like the social media has made the dopamine like not right. So can I destroy dopamine for a second and talk about a different neurotransmitter? Okay. Um, Dopamine is about how exciting it is to get the reward. It's reinforcing until the thing happens. Mm -hmm. Once you get the reward, dopamine's gone. So like the way to think about this is, If I'm like, if I'm like, you know, hunting and gathering and I see this like really slow deer that I can outrun Mm -hmm. and we'll make this deer like have some struggles in life. It's, (laughs) it's like, it's fast, but it's like not fast enough. So I'm like, I'm running as fast as I can and I'm getting closer to that deer and I'm like jumping over rocks. And like the closer I'm getting to this deer as I'm chasing it, the more dopamine is pumping into my brain. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm running (laughs) the second I pounce on that deer. (laughs) Dopamine's at match, and I'm like stabbing the crap out of the deer. I take down this deer. I'm like, I am the king of the forest. Dopamine's gone now. Right. Gone. So you're not reinforced by what you just did. Okay. Which is why, like, when you order the thing from Amazon, you can't wait for it to get there, and then it gets there, and you forget about it. Yeah. Right. Dopamine doesn't stay. It's only in the pursuit. Okay. The thing that actually makes you feel better or makes people feel better Mm -hmm. is this thing called norepinephrine. This is my opinion. Mm -hmm. So, Nora, she's an amazing, you know, temptress in your brain, right? So, Nora is your brain's manager. Norepinephrine decides, um, it's like basically evaluates. Was this thing stressful? Was this thing successful? Was it good? Was it bad? Mm -hmm. So, the moment you decide, screw everything, I'm staying in bed all day, I'm playing this video game, I'm not doing anything, and then at the end of the night, Nora evaluates your day. Mm Mm-hmm. And you guys know what that feeling, right? Like, yeah, right. what did I do? I didn't do anything. I, 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 I got to get up. I can't do this to myself. I'm going to fit. Like that's Nora beating you up because you didn't like, you don't appreciate what you did that day. Right. But if you had done several things you didn't want that day and you'd be like, I played video games all day. And i like, that's lazy. And you'd be like, no, no, no. But I did these eight things. And Nora's like, you're right. Good job. I'm glad you had the relaxation. Like, that makes you feel better doing the things you don't want to do. We know this scientifically, which is really crazy. And norepinephrine can be manipulated by the way you think and dopamine can't Hmm. Hmm. anyway. So if it, it, your your brain's evaluation of success, right? So if you, if you brush your teeth, right, and you go into see therapy and you're like, man, I'm having a really rough day. And the therapist goes, Hey, did you brush your teeth? And you're like, yeah, and they're like, don't you feel good about that? And you'd be like, no, you're an <laughs> idiot. Like, like I can brush my teeth any day. Like, no. And like, if, if someone tried to make me feel better about brushing my teeth, I'd be like, you're treating me like a child. Right. Like, yeah, stop yes. it. Yeah. But let's say you've been in traction because you broke both your legs and one arm and you haven't been able to brush your teeth for three months. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you brush your teeth and I go, hey, man, you brush your teeth today. You'd be like. God damn right I did. Like, Hell yeah, I brushed so him good. good. <laughs> I brushed him so I, good. You'd be so right? proud. Nora. Nora's like, you did a good job. I know how hard that is. So, like, the mm-hmm. way you think about your own life has to do with the way you can access, like, satisfaction from living it, which is really weird to think about. Yeah.
1: So, so I, I personally um, deal with imposter syndrome. It's something I have dealt mm-hmm. with for most of my life, and so is my battle with Nora. Evaluating at the end, yeah, that's sounds- because a lot of my m- when I really when it when it's gotten me good, um, and it it damn near breaks me. It's always at night, and a lot mm-hmm. of times it's because at night is where I finally is where I I settle down. It's where you're and it's with like your thoughts. and and it's like all right, now I'm going to go and do something. That I just wanna do for the last hour before I go to bed. The kids have been fed, they've been bathed, they're in bed, they're happy, they're going to school tomorrow. The wife is Mm -hmm. doing, uh, reading a book or doing a thing. So I'm gonna go do something I wanna do. And then I throw on a video game or I throw on a, a movie or something. And then 10 minutes in, my brain tells me, you should be doing this, this, and this. Why are you doing this? You're lazy. You're not ever going to achieve what your, your goal that you're chasing is. And Megan's had to come down in the basement and, and ask me if I'm all right because she can hear me yelling at myself. Can I just yeah. play this fucking game for one goddamn hour and then we'll mm-hmm. go on and handle business later? You know, and it's like I can't allow myself to not work. And our buddy Rowett gets on to me about that a lot because he'll come and visit. And then when we're down in the basement, I'm working. I'm doing trying to figure and he's like, hey, man, like, let's just watch this TV show. Like, you don't have to work. Well, if I don't work, though, like, I'm, I'm not going to achieve what it is. It's like, no, right. like, it's 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 yeah. an hour, man. Like, calm down.
3: You know, you are battling Nora. That's his way. I wouldn't be like that blunt. Yeah, because there, there is a call and response game. And like that voice, like the norepinephrine voice in your brain at the end of the day, it like it leans into like the messages we've learned growing up. It uses all the ammo that's worked to make you feel that way yeah. like in the past. And then I'm going to talk about shame and guilt for a second because that's the spiral that goes in the most messed up thing about shame and guilt is that your brain is naturally reinforced for experiencing them. Okay. Okay. You know, think about that when you are feeling horribly guilty or horribly shameful, your stomach's in knots, your body feels like crap, right? Yeah. Your brain is having a pina colada enjoying it. All it right. is actually reinforcing to your brain and it's discordant from your body. Hmm. Why yeah. would our uh, brain feel good experiencing guilt and shame?
2: Uh, to keep us sharp for future incidents of guilt and shame.
3: Okay. Wait, this is actually kind of close. Like Jared 10 points Gryffindor. <laughs> um, it does it because it's the only thing that keeps us connected to humanity. Okay. So like if we're hunters and gatherers, right? Uh-huh. And like I've like taken down um some like elk hmm. and like we've been eating on this elk for three days, but now it's rotten and we know it's bad. Yeah. Um why don't we just sell it to the tribe next door? <laughs> because you, you know, we had our use with it. It can't word. hurt. Like I don't really care about them, but my brain is making me care about someone I don't know, preserving human life because of guilt and shame. Right. It's really important around connecting people.
0: Hmm.
3: that's interesting guilt and shame are like on your limbic system and this is where I'm going to get into this therapeutic crap so like I'm going to say a word that's going to make you all roll your eyes <laughs> but, Like, okay. guilt shame and gratitude are all tied into your brain's limbic system mm-hmm. anything that you are feeling guilt or shame about you can flip into gratitude and that's the Nora intervention okay so like but it, ha- it can't be a lie you can't be like I'm a lazy piece of shit. I'm a horrible human being, but it's really nice out and I had a good day. Like that will not like (laughs) that. Right. doesn't matter. You won't feel disingenuous. Um, Yeah. But if you're like, I'm a lazy piece of shit, like what kind of person am I? And then you're like, you know what? I'm allowed an hour. I worked really hard today. It's, it's okay to feel like I need to do more work, but I'm really grateful. I have time not to do work right now. And then I'll work tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. Like that gratitude can actually assuage the guilt. Right, And so it's working on, this is fancy talk, the existential or the like changing the meaning of these messages or the call and response game to actually feel better in those moments. Hmm. The other data point is days that you think like that might also be correlated with lower amounts of physical activity. Okay. Oh, wow. Like if you, if you sat all day Mm -hmm. and your body has a certain amount of like, like energy that it needs to burn off. Right. If you don't burn off that energy, then like anxiety, anger burns off that energy. Right. Yeah. Makes your heartbeat faster, right? System moves.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. This sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you speak of. Yes. Um, That's very interesting. Well, I've I've never really, I mean... (laughs) It is very familiar from from my experience of, uh, you know, being in therapy very much. It's all about perception for me. And like that, that is, you know, training your brain to to view the world in a different way than it wants to, at least in, in my my own personal yeah. experience. That's that's really what's helped me, you know, because. Mike made a joke the other night. It was like, oh, uh, we uh, we had the Jared finally showing his true cynical side a few episodes <laughs> in. Oh, we're doing a cute little podcast about our uh, our, our small, small town here. And now it's like, fuck corporations. I encourage you to steal from them. Don't recycle. Mandatory two-year service of service industry people. And then and I was like, yeah, like, but
1: don't don't forget to be empathetic. Yeah,
2: <laughs> exactly. So it's just like, that's that's really my, my main challenge Struggle with with my with my mental health and and I I've been pretty clear with that I I try not to make it a part of me I, like when I was in Chicago for a while and going through the worst of it for yeah. a while yeah. I really kind of dumped on other people once I really realized what was happening but you, to me but that's
1: the thing but you didn't understand you realize but you didn't understand right
2: and, and I was really understand
1: come, when you don't understand comes frustration it comes yeah. anger that's what we that's how we deal with yeah. not
2: understanding something yeah and I think that a lot of people really are going through that and just don't even really. Realize Realize it. And that's why I wanted to kind of just, you know, give my own personal experience and definitely have Dave and, you know, speak with some more expertise yeah. on it, obviously, uh, because, like I said, I thought I had a disease or a blood disease, an autoimmune disease or something was, you know, physically wrong with me. But it was literally my brain manifested physical problems. It's that powerful. And I never really realized that, you know, yeah. that it could do that, you yeah. know, so I just... Uh, I know for me personally the the main reason that I wanted to have you on is like we spoke about it and touched on it a moment ago. That we have this stigma, the machismo of men—you know, grin, grin and bearing it, not wanting to give the help. Um, someone as a professional like you, what might you say to you know John Q. Random um, that might encourage them to take that first step, or might encourage them to to get the help that they needed if they're having problems with you know uh, addictive problems, or you know, anxiety, depression, or not being able to focus, or or focus, you know, creating habits, anything to kind of fulfill their lives. What might you? you say to someone who might be reticent to take that first step
3: i I mean the first thing i'd say is there's so many reasons to be reticent right like i would validate like why it makes sense that like it's not like what are you an idiot why aren't you in therapy i'm in therapy like that's my problem that's what i do i'm like you're dumb get in therapy no but it makes sense like how do you know you're in good therapy how do you know it's working for you how do you know someone isn't just taking your money Mm -hmm. like why do i have to pay someone to feel better like there are all these really important thoughts Mm -hmm. right that kind of come in that we don't have answers for and i think it's one of those moments where it's like how do you like how do you rip this thing open it's like you come from the back end um i've always found that increasing understanding reduces suffering Mm -hmm. the more we understand the less it hurts right um i like to lean into neurobiological facts yeah because it's less about an opinion and it's just more about like a equals b equals c and i'm going to say something that sounds insane right now we don't make choices in our everyday life we we very rarely get to make a choice we live in a very predetermined like fatalistic kind of way we we don't really have free will mm-hmm. right like and everyone like everyone's allowed to be like fuck you like, I, <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 yeah. I
2: do that little okay. chin, i'm having spaghetti tonight instead of bologna sandwiches
3: that's free will okay. right <laughs> <laughs> The best way that we can talk about like how we experience free will in the world, right? Is like a fast food restaurant. You go to fast food restaurant X. You don't make a decision. You go to the drive-through because you always go to the drive-through or you go in because you already go in. Mm -hmm. And you don't really make a decision once you're in there, right? There's one of like three or four things you'll get and it depends on the kind of day you're having. Right. I feel rich, I'm getting this. I'm kind of poor but I need to pick me up, I'm getting this. I had like, you know, we have all these preset conditions that make us pick things. Mm-hmm. And I think that it takes a very complicated amount of intention to even have a new thought. Yeah. And what I mean by that is if you're anxious, if you're not anxious, you cannot think of something you have not been exposed to. Right. Mm-hmm. Will is contingent on you being able to think of anything at any time. Yeah can't think of something you haven't been exposed to. So it's not your fault where you are. It makes sense that you're in pain. This isn't your fault. Society was not built to take care of you. There's a lot going on that is not your fault. And the moment of choice that you have isn't all of these things you're going to do every day. It's do you encounter something different? Hmm. So are you going to go to therapy? Are you going to go try to start working out? Are you going to go to your church and talk to your pastor? There's there's other counseling that you could do, sure. or or you're a mom or your rabbi. Like, mm-hmm. what are you going to do that's different?
2: Right? How are you going to break that cycle? Yeah, and that's and, and then it's like,
3: well, how do you know what you picked? How do you know it's going to work? Right?
2: Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Of- that's crazy, man. Mm-hmm because i mean that i in going back to like josh was talking about his imposter syndrome you know you've you've done a full day's work you've you've reared your children you know you you you've 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 done what you needed to do as a man you know emotionally physically financially um why can't you enjoy yourself for that little bit of time and see for me it's a little bit different i don't when i go and do things like this like i love doing the podcast That's awesome. this is great um, when I talk about it in therapy, my, my therapist is like, that's so great. You know, like since, since Jim's passed away, it's been such a catalyst in my life to know that I can't just tick days off the calendar anymore. You know, it's just all about investing in that day. I mean, I'm not gonna be productive and have a perfect day every day, but now I'm I'm playing disc golf with my buds, I'm having the podcast with my buds, you know, I'm I'm going to trivia with Richie and Joyce and doing that. I'm doing so much more social stuff now than I have in years previously, you know, and it just I have a hard time getting gratification from that. You know, in the moment I'm enjoying it, but then looking back, you know, I'm like kind of it, – it's, it must be that, that dopamine thing that you were talking about. Like I'm enjoying it in the moment. It's great. I get my satisfaction when it's over. But then when I kind of reminisce and think back on it, I'm like, ugh. You know, I'm like I, I feel that emptiness. I'm not getting that gratification. It doesn't feel good anymore. And I'm like, uh, and that like that tempers my my vision of it and it kinda of spoils it a little bit for me. And I'm like, No, I hate that. Like don't don't ruin the good things in my life, you know, don't view them through that negative lens. And like I'm constantly fighting that battle. That's like my my ultimate battle with every day is just like you know, taking off those the horrible cynical glasses and giving myself a little bit of life, giving myself a little bit of vision of you know daylight and goodness and and things like that.
1: I, I personally I think for me that's what helps get me um, through my days is that I. I I'm pretty good at handling and doing things I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. I, I can find ways to do things that some people can think that are impossible or there's no way you can do that. Get I, it done. I've just always been able to do that. But for me, what helps me is understanding now and knowing what makes me happy and trying to right. do at least a few of those things a day that make me happy. Right. Give yourself something. Yeah, give Yeah. Just to have something. And, yeah. um, I think that's, I think that's important. And I mean, that's, one thing with my kids, I always tell them when they they want to go play with somebody, yeah, go play with them, man. Go over to their house as long as you're not bothering their parents. <laughs> I don't want sure. to. Yeah. I don't want to talk with the parents. I don't want you bothering them. But go find your joys and enjoy your 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 the good times. Yeah, you
2: know? especially when you're a kid.
1: Well, yeah.
3: What we know is, it's like we know that enjoying the good times—that's like self-care. That's so important. What we're learning now scientifically is, in order to make self-care feel better, you have to do things you don't want to do. Hmm, right. It's so weird. If you only did the self-care, you wouldn't feel good. And if you were in the wrong therapist, you would think, I'm not feeling good. I'm doing all these self-care things. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. you got to do – they're called um, – this guy, Huberman. I like the Huberman Lab podcast. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. He talks about like you need little yucks. Like if you did the dishes and you folded laundry, you would right. enjoy other things more.
1: Yeah. right. It's the yin and the it's, yang. It's the old yin mm-hmm. and the yang idea. Like yeah. you have to – you uh, you have to go through hard times to even realize what the good times were. You know, right. you, we yeah. have to have that, and yeah, it, it's that it's that it's that perfect balance. So go ahead,
3: go ahead. If you th- only do good things, it's kind of like that dopamine. You just need more and more good yeah. things to feel good. It yeah. doesn't feel good right. later. And,
1: and so let's say, like, you keep doing that, and, and we were saying the glass that we're, that we're filling, does that glass change its size?
2: Yeah, based on that. Does like, it yes.
1: adjust to what, you, since you're just saying, you know, if you keep eating, your stomach expands and gets bigger yes. and changes, right. your organs will change size. So, does this dopamine metaphor cup? expand its size and just grow with your... So you got to keep feeding it with more and addictions. And that's where addictions. addiction really takes over people's lives badly. And then mm-hmm. they get out of the addiction and that cup shrinks, but then they go back to that same level of addiction they had if they have a, a fallout or,
3: or a, a, relapse. A, a relapse. It expands then, again. Yes. It's called neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. Our brain changes based on like the more often we use things. Mm-hmm. It's use-dependent. So if you focus on growing that cup the cup gets bigger. Right. You, because I'm drinking the cup, the cup gets smaller. The, the hardest part about this is like, I can't say this word, but I'll say it wrong. Like the dopageneric, I can't, I can't say it like the <laughs> brain's reinforcement That's system. Hilarious. Like, um, there are certain things we do with substances that destroy it. Like, the one that I know like, is most profound is meth. Right. Doing meth makes it so you'll be chronically bored for about two years until like, if you get addicted to meth, it takes about like, two years for you to feel any enjoyment again. Damn. Yikes. Know, like, Why would you yeah. do that? It's, because you get all the enjoyment right now. It expands that You cup. get two
2: years worth of enjoyment in like a, a hit or whatever, right? Yeah, yes. A trip or whatever. Yes. Oh my gosh. No, thank you. No, thank you, man. That is crazy. So like if you're someone an addictive and you're filling that cup, you know, like, uh, People fill it with whatever their vice is, whether that's, you know, alcohol or food or, or buying stuff. You know, I know consumerism is a is a real, you know, money addiction. You know, if I'm going out or gambling, they're gambling, God, the sports betting is so bad in this country now, man. It's, it's awesome everywhere. I love it. I know, yeah, you bet $20, (laughs) but could you imagine if you had a, 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 I think about that all the time, if I had like a smartphone at 17 years old with a sports betting app, or like 19, like I I got my first credit card, and, and when I went to Bloomington, maxed that thing out in like three days, didn't pay it off, you know, correct my credit score, you know, such terrible impulsive decisions at a young age when you're illegally an adult, I couldn't even... Imagine, you know, the 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 temptations uh, yeah. as a young person nowadays and are for,
1: endless. For me, I've I've been sports gambling for a long time, even when it was illegal. Mm-hmm. I had a way that I could I play spats. so I have an experience with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's something where. When something like this all of a sudden, it's like oh, you all, all you have to do is download an app, and you have people who've never done it, and they're just jumping into that's it. What I'm saying, and then you yeah. get a couple wins. and That's why these companies will give you free bets, free money, yeah, and free, free money, and it, and yeah. these these things that for you to jump in, and you're getting people who don't have this experience of loss and understanding that when you lose, because I mean we spend a lot of time in casinos too, yeah, and so when you lose, the reality is you're not you're not going to get it back. The gamification, yeah, sure, of sure. It. you there there's a slight chance there's people who have done it but let's let's be real it's not going to happen and so having that knowing like all right i lost i'm done i'm walking away I'm not going to keep chasing this and try to. Oh well, if I make this bet, I'll, I'll get all that. No, you lost. Deal. It's okay. You
2: lost. Yeah, those guys can't think about. Say it goodbye. At young age. Your yeah. Brain's and, yeah. Not when even you get, fully formed, yeah. When you get
1: that as as a brand new experience, where you're just coming in, it's like, oh well, I, I put a hundred bucks in, and, and this company gave me two hundred free dollars to spend. Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. man. Okay. All right. And now, now, now you're wanting to put two hundred in yeah, every week. Yeah. Now you're wanting. You I know, can make and, a bigger
2: bet with their free money. Yay. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, it. I know we were I, talking about dopamine earlier too, yeah. and I told Josh the other day that uh, I think maybe Mason said this, and when we were talking in our D and D chat one night, like during a break or maybe before we started, Dave, that phones and like apps, the scrolling function of that. It, the the proliferation of that is due to like the dopamine hit that you get in like a, a casino machine, and that's why it's, you see yes. like the Facebook and the Instagram and any yeah. everything's a scrolling feature because every time you hit that screen, you're like ding.
3: Give me the drug, Dean. Well,
2: it, it's also why I ding. don't
1: hit a lot of likes and stuff because I don't care about what it is. It's just something different. It's see, it's, it's something content. new. I yeah. don't know
2: what's coming, you know. And I'm real bad about that. Yeah, I'm doom scrolling. Yeah, yeah. I, I doom scroll with the best of them.
3: You are being trained right. to do that. Yeah. So, th- can I can I get into like the psychology behind Please. the Facebooks, the TikToks, like all that stuff? Mm-hmm. The strongest kind of reinforcement to train human behavior is something called intermittent reinforcement, which means you don't get the hit every time. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while you get it, right? Yeah. That'll make you try all the time. Right. If you get the hit every time, you'll get bored of the hit and you'll walk away from it. Sure. So one of the things they do is they make sure that not every video is one that you like. And as a matter of fact, think about what we know. The brain wants little yuck things to make the nice things better. Right. They intentionally put videos in the feed that they know you will not like to make less interesting videos more interesting. So
1: much lately, even though they sell the idea. To let yep. us, we're trying to build an algorithm to give you what you do, what it is right. you like. Give us give us this they information. Keep like, you do on you that like edge. this post? They keep do you, you s- right on that edge. Yeah. Do you want to see more posts like this? You wanna, when really yes. they want to know the answer so they can do the complete opposite of what
3: right. you are answering. Or they already know your answer. They want to see what makes you interact.
2: Sure. Yeah. Okay, what keeps you, you on there yeah. more? Yeah. Would you like to know more? Mm-hmm. Yes.
3: Yeah. And so, like the other things that they do is. There is not, it's not like happenstance that they made the action of scrolling part of mimicry to slot machines. Right. Yeah. That's what was really like fascinating. You're pulling yeah. down, mm-hmm. you're scrolling down uh-huh. because the action has been paired just like that rat with the smell with like addictive things for some people. Right. They, they are, it is. And the whole time you're looking at this, you are getting dopamine. It is triggered hyper-focus and you're getting intermittent reinforcement. At a frequency that stops norepinephrine from evaluating what you're doing.
2: Right. So you don't have the manager anymore. It's just all dopamine all the time. Let's
3: go. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. And then what happens when you get the deer or get the package? Right. It's over. Dopamine goes away. Yeah. It's gone. Now so you gotta start again. Doesn't that, give you anything.
2: Yeah. Now yeah. you gotta start all over again and start the pattern again to to get the the filled cup again. Yeah. That's crazy. The,
3: the part the part about doom scrolling though, Jared, that I need to validate for you is you do like the you don't have a chance. Yeah. Like you don't. So like I literally I'm a behavior specialist that like has gone to understand brain. I've learned psychodynamic psychotherapy, CBT, DB, blah blah blah. I'm like I'm gonna check this TikTok out. I'm going to I'm gonna avoid liking anything. I'm not going to follow a single person. I want to see how this algorithm learns me. I'm going to not skip any videos except for ones that show sex or violence, okay? okay? And th- it showed me everything. Like, little kid videos, like, what, what toy am I going to pull out of this hat? I'm like, oh, this is weird. I don't know why I'm watching this. I'm like, <laughs> did you get the blue one? It's the blue one. And I'm like, what the hell is this? All right, but I'm watching the videos, so I'm not getting TikTok any data. Over the year, or six months that I had TikTok, I spent more and more time watching it. It was more and more reinforcing. I didn't realize what a problem it was. One Saturday morning, I woke up and I'm like, ah, lazy day, I got nothing I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have myself some coffee and I'm gonna scroll a little bit on the old TikTok. (laughs) And then I'm gonna go to the hardware store and I'm gonna get this one thing that I need before six. Yeah. I look up and it's dark and it's 6.15. And I've been on TikTok for six hours. I have built-in strategies to not let this happen. I am a therapist that understands like the insidious nature of this, and it got me. Right, I deleted it that moment. Yeah, yeah. You can't, like there's no fair play with that thing that's yeah. what i'm
2: about to drop reddit off my phone now i think i'm gonna do it tomorrow actually because i just i found myself like before do doing d d prep and stuff and uh you know talking uh doing prep for the podcast as well thinking about content and, and questions for, for for today's episode and stuff and i would just find myself you know someone will text me or hit, hit a message in the discord and you know i pull i'm like writing stuff down in my notebook for for d d or you know with the podcast and then i'll get a message and then and I get on my phone and then I'll just realize like three hours have passed. I've just wasted all of that time. I didn't get anything done. You know, I was just kind of jacking around in the chats, you know, scrolling on the side. I'm just like, God, I got to get rid of that. I'd be ultimately so much more productive in my life to just get rid of that. Cause I, I got rid of Facebook when I got hacked. And then when I did, I never missed it. Like six weeks later, I was like, oh God, like that place was a hellscape. Yeah. And I just. I hope that it's the same with Reddit because I just I got to get rid of it. I'm taking in way too much content and way too much screen time and Dave and you were saying um, you had plans put in
1: place to prevent yeah, this from structures, happening. structures yeah um, and structure is a massive thing when it comes to ADHD especially um, so one thing I want to want to hear you uh, hear your thoughts on and and um, we're gonna have two here that kind of piggyback with each other so um I know there's some people who are going to listen who maybe they don't have ADHD but their child does or some their brother does or there's somebody so I want to try to go over some things that help um, people get more of an understanding on what the person's dealing with so maybe we have more of an understanding on how to how to handle certain situations so one thing I really like and I've heard you talk about and I really like your your view on is um, the power struggles with people with people with ADHD because that also kind of piggybacks off the dopamine it's a it's a dopamine chase. But I also, with that, want to hear, um, speaking of putting structures in place, the monster parts. I think this is such a cool thing, and I think it it, it kind of goes with the power struggle thing. Um, so, yeah, the go ahead parts. and give us uh, your thoughts. and. and on uh, that.
3: Like when you said the monster parts, I got like the chills because yeah. it's so real. Um, tell people so what best those way, are if they don't know what they are. sorry?
2: Yeah, tell people what the monster parts are if they may not know.
3: The way people can fight, the how nasty it can actually get. Mm-hmm. It's not all peaches and cream and roses. There's some thorns here. Yeah. Um things that make dopamine happen. I'm just gonna run through a couple things so we'll have context for this. Mm-hmm. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, carbohydrates, the idea of winning, and the act of debate and risky behavior. Okay. The process of debate gives you dopamine whether you win or lose doesn't give you dopamine. The act of arguing does. Right. The act of arguing and winning does, doesn't matter about being right. Mm -hmm. The act of being risky gives you dopamine, Mm -hmm. right? So if we integrate all these things, when you are in a power struggle with somebody with ADHD, think about how inappropriate they can get. Yeah. They will go for the throat before they've realized they've gone for the throat. Right. Zero to sixty well
1: that's one thing um you hear a lot with a d h d is that they don't have that long term um consequence thought they don't Filters, under, they don't yeah. understand the long term consequences of what the, they just understand what they want right now and
3: how angry they are right now yeah they don't i mean another way of saying it is like the part of the brain that uh, like response cost part they don't totally understand the consequences of their actions later on down the road right right. So they know that they got angry. They won't really understand what that anger does to another person's want to do something with them. Right. Um, and so what we know is a lot of people, this is like, I'll just be this blunt. If you have someone in your family with ADHD, like maybe think about whether or not you do too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like it's highly genetic, right? There's this is around evolution, not the evolution. Sure. Um, and so like, I've seen people who aren't aware that they have ADHD get really sucked into power struggles with their kids because they're both going to be reinforced by winning. They're both going to be reinforced by the act of debate. They're both going to not want to be able to drop that thing. It's hard. Right? Yeah. So I avoid like, there are certain places when you're dealing with someone who has ADHD that you cannot win and to try to win is not the point. Yeah. Um, so what would be the point? I guess like whatever the task is right so it's like uh when you get home today whatever you do i want you to take off your shoes mm-hmm. okay uh, but like i'm going to tell you again in five minutes what are you going to do when you get home today and they're gonna be like i'm gonna take off my shoes it's like cool and before we leave what are you gonna do i'm gonna take off my shoes right before i get home and then you're driving them to school and before they get out of the car you're like what are you gonna do today when you get home and like i'm gonna take off my shoes and then they run into class right mm-hmm. they're you've prepped them you've done all the interventions and you're going they're gonna listen to me. it's gonna happen. they're gonna integrate all of these messages and when they get home, they're gonna take off their shoes mm-hmm. right and then kid comes home from school they've had like a whole day of school. they've talked with their friends, mm-hmm. they've had disappointments, they've had heartache, they've had wins, they've had losses and then they run home to tell you all that the door opens Hey are you and then you go, what were you supposed to do when you got home? Take care right And that's when the kid who has ADHD, their visual spatial memory, which is much higher than other people's comes back. And they remember every moment you told them that. And for the life of them, they don't understand why they couldn't bring all those memories back before they walked in the house. Right. And so if you were expecting your ADHD kid to like put it all together because you gave them 30 warnings, you would be setting them up for failure. Right. So you like take off your shoes tonight when you get home. It's like, okay, cool. And then you go, they're not going to remember. So I'm going to pick them up and I'm going to tell them before I get out of the car. Right.
2: And there's your solution. Yeah.
3: That, that's and and now an you're not engaging in shame. Why would you forget? Why don't you care about us? Right. right. All of a sudden it gets contemptuous mm-hmm. and it triggers the winning because mm-hmm. you're mean. Now I just want to get meaner than you. And now yeah, there's a fight Spiro. and now we're just going to go back and forth. Yeah. And
2: now we're just beef
3: eating off of each other. Yeah. Okay. And that's mm-hmm. very interesting. The frequency of the consequence is more important than the severity.
2: Okay. Wow. Okay. So yeah, going hard on somebody one time won't necessarily instill them to not do it again. It's being consistent and just kind of, you know, reinforcing multiple times that'll really get them to, to, to to buy in and understand or, 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 you know,
3: follow or, or whatever that might be. Huh? Because the more explosive it is, the more risky it is. And then if it's super explosive and then sometimes they get away with it, you're creating intermittent reinforcement. Right. Sometimes they get away with it. Right. And so like, what I know is it's like the more consistency we can have, the more structure we can have. And then when we're dealing with friends or kids or loved ones, like there's a technique that I live with that I really think helps a lot And the technical term for it is called DRO, which means differential reinforcement of the other. Blah, 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 blah. What that means is it, it makes the behavior incompatible. So, like, what you're really going to focus on is if you want someone to stop biting their nails, you focus on them wearing gloves. You don't try to remind them every five minutes to stop biting their nails. That's a fight, that's a power struggle. You focus on helping them wear the gloves because they can't bite their nails if they have their gloves on. Hmm. It makes it incompatible.
2: Yeah, that's very interesting that, yeah, I mean, solutions as opposed to attacking the problem itself is. But it's also
1: just understanding. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and having an understanding, you have to understand something first
2: before you even think of ways of solving it you know and so that was what was revelatory for me that when i finally found out like i've been going on and on about it, i always thought something was physically wrong with me when when i finally realized that it was something mental it was just like oh okay well you, now i know that now that what, that information now informs my yeah. you know decisions mm-hmm. and you know how i feel moving forward and that was very enlightening to me because I thought I was like dying and wasting away. Like, why am I dying? Why do I feel terrible? My whole life is ending. This is awful. And then I was like, Oh, my brain is bad right now. Okay. That that's better. Yeah. So I
3: have and, an explanation. And, wait, wait, Jared, can I jump on that for a second? Cause it kind sure. of validate like some, something that like you're really talking about that lots of people feel. Mm hmm. When people get anxious, it's a massive nervous system like experience. I mean, yeah. whether we're talking about your guts, whether we're talking about like your your head, you any part of your body can get sore. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh crap! Oh, I lost where I was going to go with this. Hold on. <laughs> oh, yeah. got it. Okay. Uh, you know, it can, there's physical consequences to anxiety. Right. But what everyone's teaching people in therapy is, when you're anxious, you need to calm down. Right. Take some deep breaths. Mm-hmm. Lower your heart rate. Mm-hmm. I'm using the voice that like therapists will coach people in when sure. they're trying to get them to calm Very down. Soothing. yes. The dilemma is your nervous system is going a thousand exactly. miles an hour, right? So it, let's think about this like a hot pan. Mm-hmm. If you were to take a hot pan and throw it in ice cold water, what happens? It warps. That messes up. Like yeah. if you're telling someone who's super anxious to calm down, that's a painful disconnect like it's not a possible experience right. it hurts yeah it's like okay i'm taking a deep breath like it doesn't <laughs> yeah. feel good yeah it's and it's so like not useful no and what i wish we could like because people don't engage in therapy more often because like people who aren't mental health experts are on you know tiktok telling people what to do you don't hear messages like go for a run meet the speed that the inside of your body has right with the outside because then your body is used to calming down from a run. It right. knows how to calm you down when your heart's beating fast. It doesn't know what to do when there's an existential threat that's right. following you and you're going to die in your brain, but not in yeah. the real life.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly.
1: Right. It, and, and also just uh, being able to c- accept the way you're feeling isn't wrong. That's run. been important uh, have, for me. But, but there are some ways – figure some things out, try some things, figure out what works for you. Right. And I mean, cause we were saying about trying to match that speed. Uh, we all do that when, especially when it comes to music. I mean, when, if you're working out, you want that, you want the music to match that, that mentality, that, pace, and that speed yeah. of the workout. Um, if you're just sitting around hanging out and it's a, just a really chill vibe, the music, I mean, and, and like a nice restaurant, you know, where everything's real chill, mm-hmm. the music matches that, you know? So it's, So Yeah. So that is basically, that's really just like a human thing that we, that we kind of, uh, react to, um, when it's these different energies. I have
2: bad, obviously issues with anxiety. That's it manifests all in my gut. You guys have seen, obviously the Yellowstone trip. I get physically ill when I get anxious and I'll throw up like a, a dozen times. Um, and what has really worked for me is like, yeah, like you said, I get in the middle of those anxiety attacks or those panic attacks in the mornings when I would be really bad. And it's just like there's no calming down. Once you've crossed that threshold, you're on for the ride, you know. So what has really helped for me is to just understand that that's part of my my, my body and my life. Yes. And, and um, do I like it when it happens? Hell no. I, I despise it. But – I try to minimize it in my brain now, you know, like okay, I wake up in the morning, I feel terrible, I I, I may get sick. Yes, that might happen. I gotta reconcile that with myself but I just like, I try to get up and like, okay, I feel pretty bad this morning. You know, let's start my day. I'm doing my shower, you know, have your breakfast or whatever. Start your day. Do you go through your routine? You walk your dogs. And and, in my mind, the whole time I'm just like, you know, trying to minimize it. Just, uh, you know, Hey, just like focus on my day. Here's what I'm going to do. The dogs are okay. And I'm just trying to, while my heart is just thump, 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 and my guts
3: are just (laughs)
2: and I feel like I'm right on the cusp of vomiting any moment, but I'm just like, you're all right, man, you can do this, you know, just like telling myself that over and over and over. Well,
1: there's a, the artist Ren, um, he released a song, um, where he plays two different parts and he's, one of them is his imposter syndrome and one of them's him. And he's talking to this imposter syndrome. and, but at the end of the song, he talks about, um, he kind of just speaks on his mental health and how he had these few years of really bad, and what he learned was that he's not going to beat it. He doesn't get better, but it's this eternal dance is what he calls it. And you have to learn the steps to that eternal it's dance. It's just part of you, man. Yeah. You it's a part that. of
2: you. It's, it's who you are. You accept it, man. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's yeah. just you're this not, is the way it you're is. You're not broken out. because of it. I, it took me a long time to feel that way. When I first was into the deepest, like I would constantly say to my first therapist, what do I need to do to be normal again? I would always say that, you know, and he's like, What's normal? He'd be like, You know, like, I don't know what that means. Like, uh, I'm not normal. You're not normal. No one's normal. And I'm just like, Why do I feel this way? How do I feel normal again? He's like, You've never felt normal. You're just feeling more abnormal now.
3: You know? I think, yeah, I think there's this is where we, I want to bring up those rat babies. Yeah. Imagine releasing that smell. All those rat babies freak out, and one of them is sitting there with a the brain going, there's nothing scary in here. I shouldn't be freaking out, but I'm freaking, but there's no threat. Like that, yeah. that part of it, the, the validation of like, I am upset for a, a reason I don't understand yes. creates way more peace there. Mm-hmm. And I think like, I care about you and we can cut this out. But I would say like having a trauma trigger epigenetic history is, is a really intense, terrifying thing for a human being. <laughs> yeah, man. And like, like someone should have looked at you and been like, there is a burned out bombed place in your soul that is always going to be burned and bombed out, but there's a lot more real estate and you can decide what you want to do with that role because Normandy looks like a cool place now, but like didn't for a long time. Sure. Sure.
2: Yeah. And that's it. You know, just finding the things in yourself that you can be proud of and love and just uh, accepting yourself (laughs) for who you are, man. It took me a really, (laughs) really long time to be (laughs) there
3: i know you though and the part that i want to make sure i'm saying in front of the world and whatever is like the amount of courage that i saw you push through the amount of pain that i watched you tolerate to be there for people and be there for yourself and doing everything you thought you needed to do like man i saw it and like i just i'm in awe of like what that must have been like i appreciate that. and then and i want to like shift just for a second uh, josh and just say something to you because i just keep hearing the steam right um i was in grad school with my professor dr citron this dude was like like, awesome. And this topic came up around self-authorization. And he's like, man, all of life is about self-authorization. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, we wait to be authorized to do things that we will never be authorized to do. Mm-hmm. And what I learned through that and like, as it became like a TA and then I was like teaching classes, I realized like when I was in front of that class, like they all thought that I was like knowing exactly what I was doing. And I had no idea what I was doing until I did it more than once. Yeah, and I think like we are all imposters and I think the belief that we're not supposed to be there Is so hard and I think it just needs to be confronted with self-authorization. No one deserves to be anywhere Why not me,
1: right? I uh, I so even before every time we I come here to the studio I sit I sit in the car and I go through a thing. So there's this there's a uh, comedian who's gotten pretty big his name's Andrew Schultz and what's great about uh Comedians and a lot of these entertainers, when they get what I love about them, when they get like real and personal and are vulnerable, he um, he struggles with imposter syndrome. And this guy's selling out three nights at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, big, big like comic. he's he's a big comic, but he still has to sit in the back green room before his shows and tell himself that he deserves to be here. Right, that this is everything he's worked for. This is everything he's earned. Um, also, the same with Maynard from Tool. I mean, before he goes out on stage, he throws up. He, yeah. he has terrible sicknesses, but he gets through it and you see him on stage. And you're like, wait, this dude's that guy, legend, that guy dude. was puking. Like, yeah. look at him. He's playing this character. He's all over the, like he's, he's putting on this show and it's like, he was terrified to come out here and do this. So that's one thing uh, I take from Andrew Schultz book. So even before coming in here, I tell myself, like, there's people who want to hear what we have to say today. This podcast may not be changing the world, but there's somebody out there who wants to hear it. It, it gets them through maybe their, their shitty day on that Wednesday. They're, sure. they're looking forward to having Jared make fun of me or <laughs> me make fun of him or us say something that just makes them laugh. They, yeah. There's people, there's somebody, and it might just be one person, but that, that person wants wants to hear it and it matters to them. Yeah. It so that matters. helps me uh, get out of that thing because like, it's it's where you sit here and it's like, man, who the fuck wants to hear this? Right. Like, Who really wants to hear, hear me talk about getting food poisoning on a disc golf course <laughs> and then i put it out and then i have my friends and i have people reach out and be like hey man that was funny yeah. i actually a couple weeks ago shit myself <laughs> you know and it's like it's like okay so we're validating that this stuff happens this is just who we are it's yeah. funny it's not to be taken just serious. Be real man yeah. and don't take yourself too so, seriously Yeah. so yeah so for me and, and and what i deal with i have also come up with and found ways of handling it and and you know yeah. and structures structures yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, the, structures the weirdest life, thing about yeah. that and i love that episode too because it's like you know you're talking about like the best diet workout plan like you lost so much weight and <laughs> so sick, right But like the one thing that i know to be true is like and, and this is me as a therapist i've heard lots of stories like it's very easy to be like everyone has shit their pants in their life because you were all kids and so we all immediately think like of course mm-hmm. i was in a diaper we'll call it diaper pants i shit my pants right <laughs> no everyone as an adult Shits their pants. I know this. It's and happened. if you're like, not me, then I'm like, it will happen. <laughs> yeah, on like, the clock, bro. Is the normal part of life yeah. no one talks about you're it. You're so one really salmonella poison in yeah, a way, yeah.
2: pal, of the dirty sprinkler where
3: you're too <laughs> yeah,
1: where far away from the bathroom. bad two or three days. Man, know.
2: dog. That's no now,
3: and this isn't me saying adult men. Yeah. I'm saying every Everybody. adult. Yeah. Every adult. yeah. It's they just part, it's part of
1: life. It's something we're all going to go through. It's it's don't happen. take it seriously. Like,
2: just, yeah. You so,
1: got one more thing I want to listen to or uh, want to talk about. So, now that we've gone through all this, um, a big thing when it comes, especially to mental health, uh, seeing therapists and, and, and things like that, you normally uh, event- or eventually may be getting onto medication. My personal problem, and I know this is a, a big problem you have, and this is why I'm asking you, is that when it comes to medication, we're told what the medication um, uh, is supposed to kind of do, but we're really not told on how it does that. And so there's cases where you could be given medication and be like, you know what, I feel so much better, but it's still not the right medication. You know, And just because it's making you feel right or it's fixed these one little problems... There's still it could be not the right one. So what I want to I want to ask you when it comes to ADHD um, medication, it comes to Adderall. Uh, what is the what is that medication actually doing? Not 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 because what we yeah. what we think is like, I, I've, and I've heard you say this a lot is that you get someone on Adderall, and, and my wife is uh, I remember her in college taking Adderall. she's like man, I got so much done, but in reality, mm. no, you didn't there's this other aspect to it. And what is that?
3: Okay. So this is, this is, instead of Adderall, can I like take a step back and say stimulant based interventions for ADHD, whether we're talking about Ritalin or Adderall, right? or Focalin, or like all that Mm -hmm. stuff, we'll put it all under the same camp for a second. It's a stimulant either way. Yeah. It's a stimulant intervention. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple things that those medications do. And like, this is where I want to say, like, I am a believer of medical intervention for ADHD because it is a medical difference. Like, you don't have to have the the intervention, right? But, like, it would be like trying to muscle through without glasses. right? And I think people need to learn, like, like what the medicine does. So, if I am not, like, a couple things that ADHD medicine does is it increases stimulation. That's benign. Everyone has their own, like, dance with it. And it increases your appraisal of what you've done marginally. So, it makes you think better about the thing that you've done. Now, Mm -hmm. if a neurotypical or a normal person takes ADHD medicine... Stimulation hits. So, whether they interpret that as anxiety or excitement, that's the neurotypical person. We don't know. Right. Right. Um, but they will believe that that is the best paper that they've ever written, best picture they've ever taken, best cleaning right. job they've ever done, most productive they've ever been because the appraisal thing is there. Right. In reality, it is just as good as it always does for like a neurotypical person. Right. They just sure. feel better about it. <laughs> okay. okay.
0: That's interesting.
3: But if we were going to an ADHD person, they have been trained to have a negative outlook on what they do. Right. So the increased appraisal normalizes appraisal. I see. Doesn't make it exaggeratedly high. Mm -hmm. And the stimulant for an ADHD person like this is where it gets really interesting. People with ADHD, I'm going to like spoil this. They self-medicate all the time. And I'm not talking about coffee. And I'm not talking about risky behavior. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. Central nervous system like stimulants are interventions for ADHD. Please tell me what happens to your nervous system when you're angry, when you're anxious, when you're excited, or when you're aroused. What happens is your heartbeat slower or faster? Faster. So people who are ADHD will in, like have their heartbeat faster as a way to self-medicate if they're doing benign, non-stimulating, boring tasks. Hmm.
1: And that comes the, so, with the not sitting still and things like their that. Ticks and stems.
3: Or but whatever, yeah. yeah, but like, this is where if you don't have medicine, you have to have a feeling to make So these fucking socks. I got a pair of these socks or like, I can't wait to get through this. It'll be great. Like whatever that feeling is, the person has to learn to access it. And most people with ADHD, if they haven't had interventions, go to anxiety or anger. Mm hmm. And so, if you take the medication, which is a stimulant, like why would we give someone cocaine? Well, now you're seeing it. The <laughs> stimulant happens absent the emotion. You don't have to get angry or anxious to have your heartbeat fast. Right. So all of a sudden, it increases focus for a person without the distracting feelings. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Like for ADHD people, it can be glasses, and like it is. It is one of those things where people have a stigma about what medication does, what it doesn't do. Is it healthy? Is it not? and for me i think about like is are you experiencing negative consequences because of how angry you get or how anxious you get mm-hmm. and people don't like it or you're finding yourself getting into fights or you're ditching work more than you want then i would look at medication yeah if you found amazing. a great way to like work out three times a day you <laughs> eat super clean you you run around you stay really busy and you go to sleep and you don't have any problems don't take medicine i don't care
1: yeah Well it's like but well, if you're in pain Yeah. It's like what we said, like you're not going to be fixed. There's no fixing ADHD, but you figure out who you, and ADHD is different to everybody. I mean, one thing Mm. works for one person, ADHD. That's all it did is it worked for one person, (laughs) you know? And so, uh, it took
2: me like you, three years to find a schedule of meds that worked for me because my anxiety yes. was taking over my life. And I was like, you know, I'm trying all these different things. I'm having these horrible side effects, you know, with your libido, your appetite, your sleep, your weights, yo-yo. Mm-hmm. And you're just like trying to find, you know, what side effects can I take? And it's, yeah, like two, three years, you know, and it takes months for your brain chemistry to change too. So that's what mm-hmm. I'm always telling my brother, man, he's just like. He'll take his meds for like two months, and then like get off of them because he has he's not working or whatever. And I'm like, no wonder your brain's fried, bro. Even like you're up, you're down, you're on, you're yeah. off. Like regulate yourself, man. You'd be good.
3: There's this Winston Churchill quote that I kind of like, which is like, and and he's complicated, so we don't have to get into Churchill. But I'm just saying, like, um, this the quote is like, if you're fighting and you find yourself in the middle of hell, for God's sake, don't stop there.
2: Right. Yeah. I, I've heard that. Yeah. 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 And that's how it was, man. I just had to crawl my way out of there, dude. Yeah. I'm still, like I said, I fight it all the time, man. I'm in therapy. I'm still on my meds, you know. I deal with, you know, anxiety and depression and, you know, uh, some other things. And that's okay, you know, because my life's okay right now. I play D&D with my buds. I got a cool podcast with my friends here, you know. So, I'm I'm uh I'm in a pretty good place right now. I was real bad when I first moved back to like during COVID. I left LA. I just had back surgery. Man, I would failed yeah. out in LA. I was down. I was hurt physically. I was hurt mentally. Man, I was in a bad way,
3: son. Yeah. Bad, bad. Part of, like, and I think it's important for us to be able to be vulnerable with each other. That's a really yeah. important part of like healing and yeah. what men are trained not to do. And that's what I and saying. I think I'm like nip that the a big bug. part of me being vulnerable with you, um, Jared, is like. My job I love what I do for a living I love being a trauma therapist I love being an ADHD therapist I love like doing the things that I do speaking and training but like my work is really intense at sure. times and like I really there's a lot of risk and I love attending to it and by the way, I also really love my clients mm-hmm. and Jared, you are part of like some really restorative self-care for me because like a couple times a week, We sit down for hours and problem solve about things that even if it results in death, it doesn't hurt my life. Right. And I can't thank you enough for like giving me a playground and being there for that playground. It really helps me in the world.
2: I'm glad you joined the game, man. You make it much more robust having you as a player. You're an excellent, excellent, Part yeah, of the game G- uh jim always talked highly about he loved you, having you in when the you game. Join, man. man he, he, he was always, so happy to have you in the yeah game.
1: he always talked about how how much of a
2: because you you buy it. in you buy in and that's what the game's all about if you just if you if you buy in and you enjoy it and you get in there and you're all about the buy-in man so you make you make the game that much more well, everybody much more in robust. the game makes the game what yeah, it is man. it's great it, <laughs> it's like walking into a doctor's office you know it's whatever energy you got is
1: what the a whole office is going to give back to you sense. It's, it's very oh. important for me too for yeah. sure
3: the feelings i just had when you guys said jen is like yeah. so real that i gotta speak to for a second like i have i i met him for not enough time i needed to know him longer in my life i'm jealous of everyone that did yeah it was a gift to be able to like be with him and like like his energy is uh is really like energy that i like being with but like I also didn't know if he hated me or liked me after a yeah. <laughs> week. Yeah. It's like, That's the it's same, like, same no impression idea. he
1: gave to a lot um, of people. We always said Jim was- Jim hated everybody. He just hated his friends a little less. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> That's part of being it, a Vogel. Yeah, yeah, that is part of being a Vogel. Yeah.
3: But because he's like he was so, I think, specific and and the way he talked about narrative and story in life, I know that he didn't mince words. Yeah. And so like to hear that he talked highly about the way I played D D, like that just made me tear up. Yeah. I was like, Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jim like, said something nice about me when I wasn't there. I'm taking that to the bank.
1: Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I got the total opposite, because my character Got killed, and we had one time one day where I couldn't get on a play. He got mad at me about it, so I was like, Oh, fuck it, my character's dead then, and I just never went back and played. So then he just gave me shit for the the next years after all that, you know. (laughs) Um, so I got the opposite end of it, so he just wanted people to play, you know. Yeah, he loved playing. Um, so we'll get close here to wrap, but I, I got we did, uh, we. We posted it on our social media and just asked people, told them that we were having you, and if they had any questions, if this is stuff that they've dealt with, to uh, you know, question, you know, ask questions for free. You know, you don't, you don't yeah. have to <laughs> free therapy. Here. Yes. And I told everybody you'd be more than happy to. But uh, our friend Mari Helen um, from uh, Nevins, she used to come in on the on the the Sundays. You remember Mari? She put in a question here for for you. She said, I'm nearing my 40s and beginning to question whether I have ADHD as others with the condition have pointed it out behaviors to me. It seems like such an effort to get diagnosed and considering I've spent so long managing as is. My question for Dave is, what are the benefits of getting your ADHD diagnosis as an adult?
3: Great question. And Mari, like, oh, my God. So the populations that are often ignored and misdiagnosed with ADHD Women and any non-white person. Hmm. The stereotypical like image of what ADHD is like an adolescent white kid. Yeah. And like all the all the things we look at boy. like to normalize that, like you know, it's hard. And women have this incredible amount of social can like social pressures yeah, and social like hoops to jump through. And- that the pieces that are normalized for ADHD are like normal that make you a bad woman. And so it's easy to hide parts of that or just think like. I'm just a lazy one or I'm not a good one. And you don't see any of the behaviors as part of ADHD. You just see them as part of you being a bad person. And so Hmm. in your forties, nearing your forties at any point in time in life, what I notice people is number one, if you think you have ADHD, I would go see your primary care doctor. I'm going to keep saying this. This is a medical issue. Like if there is a lot of complicated psychology, go see your psychiatrist for sure. But talk to your actual doctor. Yeah. Because it's you know, and if your doctor is like, this is complicated, you might want a neuropsych. There's there's a lot of hoops and testing. But what I've seen the medication do for people, whether it's and, I, and I'm sorry, I sound like a med person, right? No, even not. the awareness of what the what the diagnosis is and how you fit into it, I've seen that change people's lives. Yeah, like people in their fifties saying things like, I read books now, which <laughs> yeah. which they can't admit to anyone. Yeah, but me, but like all of a sudden they see like totally different or. I can get up in the morning or like, like, is it really this easy for everyone? I feel like I'm cheating. And like, what I will tell you is most people with ADHD, when they find an intervention that works for them, whether it's medication, whether it's therapy, whether it's just insight, the first thing they do is I probably don't have ADHD. I'm cheating. This would help anyone. Right. Yeah. And literally my job as a therapist to be like, interventions are it shows that this doesn't help you neurotypical know, people. people <laughs> like marginally. Like it doesn't help them. Yeah. It really does help you. Like, what does it feel like to have experienced societal neglect and had it finally attended to?
2: Yeah. I'm sure it's revelatory. It's like, yeah,
3: it's oh, opening your eyes. Like, for why do people time? not see me when I was younger? And it's like, now we have to do that work. Yeah. Right. Let's <laughs> put this on the list. <laughs> but Mari, like the, the worst thing that would happen is you find out you don't have ADHD. It's something else you work towards that. <laughs> Or you find out it is, and all of a sudden, a, like circle gets the circle instead of a square, and <laughs> everything makes sense now. Everything like, makes sense. Yeah. Please go see, like, go check yeah, that out. This was for totally me, like I said. It.
2: Yeah, I yeah. thought I was physically ill when I found out it was mentally ill. That tempered my expectation moving forward for getting help and made me, you know, much more. Uh, Responsive to get it, you know, like I was going through all these physical tests and yeah, it was tubes and blood work and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, oh, I should go to therapy and like group, you know, maybe three times a week for a year or two. And that's what I did and it worked.
3: It's, and I want to get to the other question. I'm so sorry, but like, Mari, this is the other thing I'd say like, maybe you organize in piles. You don't know you're organizing piles, but maybe you got a stack of mail and a stack of magazines and a stack of this. And, like, there's organization because this is bills or this is new mail and this is old mail, but there are piles. And those piles come about with ADHD because object permanence is an issue. When things go into drawers, they disappear, so people naturally have things messy all over their house. They yeah. don't want to change things, but we're taught to think that we're bad people and we can't be organized. Like, there are so many things that I wish I could just validate for you. We don't have time, but, yeah. like... That's why understanding reduces suffering.
2: That's great. Yeah, that reminds me of a couple other ago, my good buddies that I hope are listening on, on this. Yeah. Uh, so our our buddy
1: Rowett, who you guys um, talk a lot. Yeah, you guys and are close friends. So one thing I one thing uh, I want to go through. This will be the last thing. But I, I I met you guys in Chicago. We went and played disc golf. Uh, you two were t- were talking about this, and uh, I never I didn't really butt into it because it obvious to me that this had been a conversation that had been going on, and you guys are continuing on and whatever, but I found it fascinating later in time when I asked Roe kind of what you guys were talking about. Um, So, the idea of reality. Okay? So, the subconscious and delusional behavior. How are they connected, and what is the difference between a delusion and a dream?
3: (laughs) I want to, like, I want to have a... it we need a much longer conversation about that. <laughs> but, um, I think I think like when we're talking about real delusions, when we're talking about really intense behaviors, we are talking about the judgment of a belief system mm-hmm. And the more you fight a delusion, the more entrenched it becomes. The more you fight a belief somebody has, the more they will believe it when we are talking about the idea of a dream, it doesn't involve belief. It can be destroyed. Hmm. It's really, it's, I think that this is where, um, for people who are dealing with schizophrenia or like when we like schizophrenia, the best way to think about it is like the ventricles or the way that their brain communicates. It's better than ours, not worse. They have way bigger highways. They process way more information. And so when they have a dream, it can look real. Mm-hmm. which crosses over into a dilution right
1: And where does that come from? is that is that like a uh, information virus? Oh, is God. that kind no, of like this is, a- so, okay
3: so this is where that's a great question too So the way our brains make up information is most of what we see in the world is assumptive mm-hmm. It's not real And so right now I'm looking at you guys like'm I'm, I'm really looking at the, like the helmet and I can see like a red shirt and like a blue shirt on either side of you. But in reality, there's a lot of information, even in the room that I'm in that like, I can't really see. Mm-hmm. But when I think about the peripheral, like it's kind of hazy, but I can like, you know, you guys look at all the peripheral right now, right? right? Sure. You're not actually seeing anything. That's all guessed. The brain is like a JPEG putting it there. The moment you look at it, it becomes real. Your brain right. makes it there, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So hallucinations for some people are around like the processing error, area errors, excuse me, of what isn't there. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like yeah, that's yeah, bad information. Like, we don't really like most of what our jobs, uh, the, our brains' job is, is forgetting and ignoring things. Hmm. That's so interesting. If you can't forget. Our life gets really complicated. You would have a hard time it differentiating any day or any breakfast or any lunch. Right? Yeah. Like, that's it, why it, they say those people so, with like, and, like, There's so much to actually like, attend to. So depressed. If you if you attended to it, you wouldn't be able to really function. And so when we look at the spectrum, or we look at like. Schizophrenia, the more noise in the environment, the more loud, the more lights, all those other things, increases the probability for, in terms of autism, it's almost like a pixelated screen. It's harder to understand the world. And in the context of schizophrenia, you start seeing faces or things happening because there's too much information for the brain to give you the really clear picture.
1: Hmm. That's – like that. the brain is a, uh, is a wild it's place, man. It's just so man. powerful, yeah. <laughs> It is a
2: wild place that we – we just we don't even i always knew my it. brain was strong i always had a very vivid imagination as a young yeah, kid i did too I always would have like imaginary friends. I read, a, I read a lot of books when I was really young at a very young age, like heavier books, like Lord of the Rings. I read when I was like probably nine or ten years old. Yeah, yeah like, that's a big book It's a for a, pretty book, yeah, <laughs> big for a book. fifth grader, you know, and I'm just I'm start reading that stuff. And like, I don't do that anymore, but I just I don't think I had real appreciation of how powerful my brain was until I got sick. And I was like, look what my brain has done to my body in life. You know, I was like, "That is incredible." It's terrible, and it's a worm-eaten zombie brain. I hate it. But give it its credit. (laughs) That's that's some pretty good work there, Brain. You did
3: it, Jared. Anyone that's feeling what you're feeling, I need to say, there's a high correlation with intelligence and these kinds of problems. Yeah, not lowered intelligence, right?
2: That was my 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 when I was in the worst of it. That was I what I really had to break was I was trying, I was being so analytical. I'm very solution oriented and I'm trying to find a, a problem. I'm trying to fix a problem, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at all these things and I'm reading on my own and I'm, you know, regurgitating, you know, stuff that you're talking about to my doctor on an amateur level. And he's like, he's like, just, you need to knock it off with all that. He was like, I get it. He was like, maybe just, uh, to be a little more in touch with your emotional brain as opposed to your intelligent brain. And that was really kind of revelatory for me because I was always just very, you know, logical, I guess. Yeah. And now I feel like I'm a more emotional person. Yeah. That makes
3: sense. I- I know we got to end and wrap up. I like, I want to make sure I'm honoring that. I, can I just say a little thing and then I'll come back if you guys ever need me. And, no, like can, hey,
1: we're going to bring you back. We got, I yeah. got, I got paid. We got to do yeah. yeah, we'll oh, a D and D episode. Yeah. You
3: know, but, okay. So something I want you under you, like everyone listening to understand about therapy is like how I feel and think about my clients. Like, I'm not going to tell you who I see. Um, I will say that I've worked with incredibly famous people and incredibly not famous people. And I don't work with someone that I don't respect. Mm -hmm. I don't work with someone that I don't like. And therapists are trained to refer you out if you're not going to get along. Right. But people don't believe that. They believe they're paying you for your fees. And that's the part that like everyone forgets in therapy that they've hired the therapist. They're actually in charge. Right. They should be able to ask their therapist, "Why are we doing this? Why are you asking that question?" Mm-hmm. At any point in time, mm-hmm. you're allowed to tell a therapist, "I don't believe in trust falls." Please evidence why this is important. Yeah, like you are allowed to ask, "What is your diagnosis of me? What kind of notes you have?" They're allowed to be like, "Why is that important to you?" Because that's part of the work. Sure. But everyone like is worried about what the therapist is going to do to them, and they forget that they're driving. Yeah. And like, if they don't like the therapist, I would want you to say, "Listen, I've been coming here for a while." I respect you as a therapist. I don't like coming here. Like, can we talk about like how you can refer me to someone that I would like? Sure. That's something I want people doing. Yeah. I've recently seen clients who were interviewing three or four therapists before they picked one. Yeah. And they're like, I'm seeing four people right now. Like, I I haven't picked one. I'm like, awesome. Yeah. Like, because actually, how you feel about the person—if you think they're an idiot or you think they look kind of cool or you like the the cut of their jib—it's like that actually is a great predictor for how effective therapy would be. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, there's a um, you have to trust. Them. There's a company that's gotten getting pretty big when it comes to uh, called BetterHelp, and yep. that's the one thing BetterHelp does is that they say um, you you get to pick your therapist. If you don't like the therapist, and within 24 hours they have another one, they put you in another interview
2: until you find the one that you want. It's like Baskin um, Robbins, man. Definitely, yeah. definitely search around, yeah. shop around. You know, if you. If you get, I got lucky with my first therapist in Evanston, uh, his name was Dr. Robert Farah. And I mean, he was great. He's the best therapist I've had. He's the standard for me. Yeah. And I mean, like I've gone through probably almost 10 since then in the 10 years, you know, like, you know, I've moved around quite a bit as well, but. Yeah. I mean, like, don't just hang on to somebody. I I was having bad outcomes with a guy, uh, you know, for three, four months. And I, yeah, I just told him, I was like, look, you know, like, I respect you. Thank you for the work we've done. This isn't, you know, feeling great for me. Do you have someone after this time that you might like refer me for? And he was like, I got just the guy. And like, I was with that guy for another like year and a half. And that guy was great. So, yeah, definitely if, shop around, man. I, we're, we're in a capitalist society, you know? Yeah, go crazy. Take advantage. <laughs> but
3: it's also like you guys are doing a needed intervention in terms of talking about really small-town American that is often made invisible. And yeah. and what I want to remind people is telehealth works. There's no magic in the room. I haven't been in and the room
2: in years.
3: Yeah. So, like, if you're in rural places and you want to go find someone in a major city in your state, do that. Yeah. Like. And typically, there's there's more diversity of choice in major cities. Of course. Not yeah. better work, but more choice, which sure. I think is important. Sure.
1: But there are options here, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And then, and then the, yeah. they have the option, too, where you can do video or no video. You can just do a regular phone call, or yeah. you can do face-to-face however you like. Um, so, I mean, they, they've... they uh, there's been a lot of comp- companies and there's been a lot of therapists and things who are really trying to change that stigma and they're trying to do everything Good for them. to make people feel comfortable because that's the first thing it's just it's this comfort thing you know and and especially I mean it's it's really hard to find uh, being comfortable while being vulnerable yeah and while, yeah. while and having to face and admit some things that maybe yeah. have been in kind of in the back of the brain that you kind of think about yourself but you're like there ain't no way yeah. And having those come forward and then you have to learn to handle that information right. and handle those changes I'd and tell people the reality to
2: just like don't don't think about it like in the movie where you're going to come in and you're going to lay down on the couch and right. you're going to have like this amazing revelatory therapy episode every single time you go. I mean, it's a process that you build towards. You're not going to come in and on the first episode sit down and be like, oh, uh, I got molested when I was a little kid, you know, right. and like, I want to deal with that trouble. Yeah. You know, you're not going to tell some stranger that. <laughs> yeah. You're going to come in, you're going to tell him about your life and your job and your family yeah. and what you've been going through, your stressors and whatever, and you're going to build to the, 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 the tough stuff. Yeah. And yeah. You, it, you you may not even know what the tough stuff is. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, so Dave, man, we can't thank you enough for doing this. This is awesome. We're definitely going to have to have you back. i got a bunch of other things I want to talk yeah, about. great
2: information. We could go on this all day, and it's just there's a lot of uh, subcontexts you can get into with this kind of talk, obviously. But thank you so much for your expertise and your, your kind words to me and to Josh and for, for all the expertise you brought here for, for this subject. I know it's near and dear to your heart and certainly to mine as well. Yeah, absolutely.
3: So. Thank you guys so much for having me. And, like, doing this podcast and trying to make a very scary thing feel safer. Like th- whatever I can do to help. And thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, no worries. Uh, go ahead and plug um, plug your podcast if you'd like and anything else you okay. got going on.
3: Yeah. Man, I'm so bad at the plugging part. Okay, Shameless plugging. Um, if you're looking for more information about ADHD, uh, please check out the podcast, Something Shiny, a podcast about ADHD. Nice. Um, That I do with Isabella Richards. And it's two therapists talking about ADHD who have ADHD in a very non judgmental, informative way
1: and awesome. I, I love it the thing I love the most about it too or one of the things I love the most about it too is that each episode is only like 20 minutes long so it caters to the ADHD <laughs> you know it like it's brilliant in digestible that form too. tidbit yeah and it's basically you doing um, some of your recordings from like your seminars and your speeches that you do and um, and stuff like that so like it's it's really cool like I've learned a lot um, also opened my eyes about a lot of people that I interact with um, that you're kind of like oh well Okay, now I'm starting to kind of understand some things that this person. I'm not going to say they have ADHD or whatever, but I'm looking at it. So what if they do? Okay, well, now I, this stuff is making sense now. Okay, you Better interact with Yeah, them. it's just more of, a, of, of an empathy and an understanding of what, um, what someone could be possibly going through when it comes to their mental state. And just learning that a lot of the ADHD, the things that, that people who have this difference do, it's not intentional. None of it's intentional. Nope. And having that, that, you have to understand that first. Yeah. And um, I think with parents who are raising children um, with ADHD and things like that, having this understanding that what their kid is doing is not intentional. Um, they're not doing it to upset you. They're not yeah. doing it to... Uh, ruin your day or anything like that it's a just, medical thing like you said just, like nearsightedness that yeah. was very revelatory mm-hmm. to me yeah so hopefully I mean I, mm. this really uh, we get some people who get some real help from from this inter, this interview and this episode um, it's really cool like I said before we started we're not going to have a whole lot of these so when we actually have the opportunity to teach people things and show people uh, some useful uh, ideas or thoughts into their life it, it's awesome it's yeah, exciting for sure so, yeah, man, we love you. Thank you so much for doing this. Tell Robin we said hi. We yeah, love her. Yeah, give our love to Robin and everybody up there And
3: in uh, we'll see you very soon, buddy. Awesome. Love is back. Awesome. Yeah. I love you guys. Take care. Right. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And, you know, go be courage or courageous.
2: Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Awesome okay. guys. So yeah, we're going to have the melon party hotline again. If you have any questions for Dave that you might want to ask that we can pass along, you got three one seven five two zero three one six eight for the melon party hotline. You got your email, the melon party pod at Gmail. Let us know what you thought about the episode or if you have any questions or anything about what we spoke about today.
1: Yeah, and absolutely. You can find us on social media. We got the, the only the two, we got them on Facebook uh, and uh, Instagram under the melon party. So yeah. Thank you, guys, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Awesome. Take care, guys.